Hey, I'm Evan. And I'm Sam. And, and this, this is, is Movie, Movie Night, Night Madness. Madness. So our show here is uh, just starting out. It's like our first episode, and we're not good at this yet. Uh, we've done no. a little bit of podcasting, right, Sam? A little bit. Yeah, just um, a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. Uh, like like 10 or 12 episodes um, on other podcasts that you might have listened to us on. So we uh, are coming with our own, and again, no credentials. We don't know anything about movies, really. We're not insiders. Um, no. Although, Sam, you have an IMDb page. I do have an IMDb page, because I was once on a, mil- a film set. What a film? Long time can, ago. You, can you tell? Can you say? It was called Long Tales at the time. Um, I believe they changed the name. It never actually got released. So oh. they had some trouble with the distributors. So, but, uh, but, the, but that was like my one claim to fame. I was super excited. It was my first film set, my first ever working sound utility for an actual film crew and actors. So I was super excited, but it never went anywhere. So that's like my one claim to fame in this film universe. And now I just like to talk crap about films yeah that's pretty much uh you hit the nail on the head that's sort of gonna be our uh, motto we're gonna talk crap about films that's that's what this podcast is for um we plan on doing like a major movie review every week uh but we're gonna do them the week after the movie comes out that's because yeah. we're, we're gonna spoil the crap out of it we're gonna do a no holds bar discussion gonna get kind of yep. deep um so probably too deep at probably times. too deep yeah we're, we're gonna try we're gonna try to find a nice balance and Anyway, like we don't want anybody listening to the podcast uh, the weekend a movie comes out and then not realizing that it's going to be that kind of discussion. So we'd rather yeah. give give it a week of a buffer. Where people can think about movies. I encourage people to think about what they see for a little while before they have an opinion about that. So that'll that'll be good practice for us. Um, yeah. What else can we say about about our? our oh yeah, uh, I guess my my claim to fame. I don't have one. Um, but I, I have made movies. They're just really crappy. One is a five minute horror movie about a doll that comes to life. And one is a 15 minute long, uh, parody of noir movies and, uh, and art posturing, um, kind of, kind of the same stuff that like uh, velvet buzzsaw makes fun of. And actually I never told you about this when we talked about velvet buzzsaw, but I have this movie. I'll, sh- I'll send you a link sometime that we made for a <laughs> class. Uh, my wife and our friend and I. Uh, so I've, I've actually made movies that are really, they're really not very good, <laughs> but I know yeah. a little bit about guerrilla filmmaking, I guess. Uh, and I have a, a blog that I've been writing movie reviews on for years. So I, I'm ready to talk about movies and that's what we're going to do. Sweet. You've just reminded me that at university, I actually made two films, yeah. which, w- which were the same film, but we had to cut them in different ways to make them different themes. So we did, so me and my friend Kylie did uh, a horror film about a pen and then a, a romance story about a pen, and it was the same <laughs> like footage, but we just redubbed it and recut it and stuff. You that's just a cool idea. Me. That like, I gotta see that um, to take the same footage. And, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll send you the ones that that we made too. They're on YouTube, but they're unlisted, so don't look for them, uh, listeners at home. Uh, you're not gonna be able to find them. Although maybe someday I'll feel brave enough and I'll get the permission from the people that were involved because they might be more shy than me, and I can share them. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, uh, maybe. Cr- give give us the gift of a fan base, and I will return you cheesy, crappy movies that I made uh, five years ago. So yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, what else we wanted to say here? Um, I think just uh, thanks for listening. Like, because this is a new one. This is a, the beginning of of, of an episode, and yeah. usually we'll say thanks for listening at the end. But we'll say it right now. If you're listening to this, we really appreciate it. 
like a lot. Yeah, from the bottom of our hearts, thank That's you right. for wasting your time listening to us. Yeah, because this is, this is going to be like over an hour of your time that you're never going to get back. Exactly. So keep but that we'll in mind. we'll try our best to entertain you. I yeah. Mean, that's the one thing we promise. We will try our best to be entertaining. And if Whether you... that works or not, <laughs> yeah. up to you. Good point. Whether it works or not. Uh, and if you feel <laughs> the need to hit the pause button and go stand by your window and, and you know, stare out into the middle distance thoughtfully, just know that we're there beside you also standing by your window, uh, staring off in the middle distance thoughtfully. Yeah. Maybe we might rub your shoulders a little bit, maybe, if we're feeling friendly. But uh, if you don't like that. Just let us know. Yeah, we're all about consent uh, for shoulder rubs here. Yeah, definitely. So Consent all the way. Consent. So we're going to talk about Captain Marvel on this episode. Speaking of of consent and other issues revolving around, uh, you know, the the fight about, like, you know, whether or not we're going to handle gender discussions in a responsible way, um, which I think the movie tries to do, which, uh, you know, caused no end of backlash. And we'll get into all that a little bit later. So Captain Marvel is the movie that we left off on our last podcast with, and it's where we're going to continue from here. Um, It's been out for a little while. It's on track to make quite a bit of money. We'll talk about that a little bit more later too. Um, So stay tuned, even if you've already seen it and you're already kind of sick of the conversation because we've got thoughts. We've got lots of thoughts. And uh, before we get into that, though, there's other things we want to do, and we're going to experiment with our with different segments. We're not planning on spending too much time on segments before we do our big main topic discussion, but we'll do a couple of little things. Like one thing that we want to do, for instance, is what I'm calling right now the booster pack. That's my really podcasty name for just uh, taking a minute and talking about things that we've been watching or listening to or reading, maybe, and boosting it. You know, especially yeah. if it's lesser known, give you guys something to kind of check out so let's start with you sam what anything uh come to mind anything you want to boost yeah i mean i've been watching a lot of uh like low budget horror films this week like just trying to catch up on some of the stuff that gets posted on netflix and you know just trying to watch more horror because that's like my genre that's my that's my jam so i've been watching i watched a uh, haunting on fraternity row the other night which is like a new release on Netflix. It's kind of like a college party meets uh, demon meets like poltergeist activity. It was like all filmed on phones. So it's like, it's not like a hundred percent like high quality stuff, but like it was really good. It's like I started watching it and I thought this is not going to be great, but I'll, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. But I actually got really into it. It had a, had some creepy moments and some funny moments. One. It's good. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's worth a watch. You have to give it a little bit to get into it. It's very much like a your typical film version of fraternity life at American colleges, which I always thought was bullshit but apparently (laughs) it is a real thing it's a real thing Uh, yeah which which it just explains so much about american culture uh since i've been here so yeah it's it's i might not be able to get that one though because uh you probably know this um because you lived in the uk before but netflix is different depending on your region so um for those who don't know listening uh sam lives in the states and i live in canada um, and in Canada, our Netflix is a little bit different. So sometimes we don't get the same stuff. We do get, uh, some things though, that you guys don't in the States and probably, probably there's actually a lot of overlap though with, uh, the British Netflix because, uh, there's an interesting loophole with Netflix in Canada, um, where we have to have a certain amount of Canadian content, but British content counts. 
So, oh. you know, because we're, you know, essentially a, a very still friendly ex-colony of uh, the Empire. So, you know, yep. <laughs> we're like one of those planets in Star Wars where like, you know, there's em- <laughs> Imperials around, but, but you know, we actually get to govern ourselves. Um, yeah. You know, but you look around the corner, there's a storm tr- stormtrooper somewhere. So... <laughs> Or the queen, you know, waving at us and from the clouds. So yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we might, I might not be able to get that, but I'll look for it. Um, speaking of Netflix, I've been watching Dragon Prince on Netflix. So not horror. Horror is also, horror is more my wife Catherine's genre. But because of, of her influence and, and me watching horror movies with her and me tricking her into watching movies more by watching horror movies with her, um, I've kind of, it's kind of become my genre too. So we'll probably end up talking about horror a lot on this show. Um, but I, you know, I'm watching horror movies. Yeah. Excited. (laughs) I've been watching horror movies lately. Um, I, I watched, I've been watching Dragon Prince, which is an animated show. I like animated stuff, um, quite a bit. Uh, cartoons. I, I kind I'm not a big anime guy. I kind of like anime. I'm picky about it though, but I generally like animation as a, as a kind of like a, uh, an umbrella. Like I like checking it out. So Dragon Prince was something though that didn't click with me when I first started watching it. Um, I wanted it to be good because it's got a lot of the same people involved with Avatar The Last Airbender and uh, Legend of Korra, two shows that I adore. Um, but I mean, anybody who's seen those shows probably likes them. They're amazing. So yeah. same people involved anyway, but Dragon Prince kind of just left me cold at first and then it finally clicked around episode five and then we just kind of like flattened out two seasons of it. So, if, you know, it's, it's a relatively popular show, but if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, if the animation style was like a turnoff because it's kind of that cel-shaded 3D kind of, it's kind of ugly, honestly. Uh, you do get used to it, but, you know, um, it's not my preferred art style, but, but check it out uh, if you haven't yeah. seen it. I've not actually heard of it, so I might have to look it up. You might dig it. It's kind of a, it's really high fantasy. Like it almost looks like the, the design is really, it almost looks like a, an old Final Fantasy game in some ways. Like everybody's okay. clothing is really overdone. Uh, every, there's a lot of doohickeys in, in the in the fashion in the show. And it's also like, you know, like it's really like magical, you know? So everything yeah. is like really magical all the time. It's not, uh, it's not low fantasy as they call it, where it's like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, you know, where it's yeah. kind of gritty, uh, but it's, it's a kid's cartoon. So, I mean, it wouldn't be right. <laughs> What's a doohickey? What's a doohickey? Have you not heard that word before? No, I haven't. I wonder if that's like a Canadianism or not. Um, a doohickey is just like a, like a thingamajig, like a thingamabob, a, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like a goober. It's uh, okay, okay. yeah, it's 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 like a, like a object that you're not really sure what it's for, <laughs> you <Okay>. know. <laughs> and uh, it could be like if you're watching like a sci-fi movie, you know, and somebody pulls out like some little box and it like has beeps and lights and stuff on it. That's oh, a do- okay. that's a doohickey. You know? Oh, okay, I get you. Or okay. a thingamajig or a whirly gig. Whirly gig is one of my favorites. That's an that's I okay. I like a whirly gig. Yeah, whirly gig feels like a Victorian like steampunk British thing for sure. <laughs> Whirligig. I can't say, I can't yeah. do a British accent to save my life, so I can't say it right, but. Well, I can't do a Canadian one, so we're, it's, we're, we're good. If you just pinch your nose shut, and, you know, <laughs> it'll and, come out. And, and say A a lot. Yeah, I, oh, I, I, I know. I mean, I, I, I get shit for that. <laughs> Not every Canadian says A as much as I do. Uh, no. I just, I don't know why I do it so much. Even my wife makes fun of me for it, and she's as Canadian <laughs> as me. The city we live in, she was born and raised here, and she never says A. I always say A. I don't know why. It's probably a reflex. It's just one of those things. Yeah, probably. I say like a lot. Everything has to have like in the sentence. So I write like a lot more than I say it. I'll go it's like or I'll say like 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 when I'm writing. Uh, yeah. Like like a chat in a chat or something like that with someone. Like I don't I don't say it much. I, well, maybe I do and I don't notice it. Anyway, listeners, feel free to point out the weird shit that we say 
uh, our ticks and our catchphrases we don't even know we're doing because we'll weaponize them. We'll start yeah. using them all the time and uh, and we'll we'll have show voices that go along with them. Like I'll yeah. say, A. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep a tally of the amount of times you say a and when we get to a certain level we'll do something and anytime i say something really confusing uh sam can say whirligig <laughs> whirligig that'll work i just love that word it's good it's uh i can't believe you've never heard doohickey though so you got you feel free to use that i'll, I'll uh i'll lease that to you awesome thank you for, for, <laughs> for leasing that canadian word to me you're welcome. Um, so moving on to, to the next segment, we think we're going to do every episode, but we're not really sure yet. Uh, we're, we want to cover any like news and rumors that come up about movies, particularly because I, I, for one, I don't know about you, Sam, but I get really annoyed when people spread rumors around about movies that's, that are fake. Like yeah. uh, that The Matrix 4 is coming out in 2020. No, it's not. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. people, people spread a lot of misinformation about film and TV because uh, it's sort of easy like like to believe anything, you know? Uh, we yeah. played that, me and Sam played a game a while back um, where we were supposed to guess a fake premise amongst a bunch of real ones and they were all so equally ridiculous that the, the, it kind of becomes like a, like a little psychological experiment to see whether you can think around corners and play like fifth dimensional chess with what Hollywood is up to with its ridiculous high concept movies. And, you yeah. know, Sam had good instincts and she won, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I thought that I would be able to smell the rat because, uh, you know, like I, I follow the film industry a lot. I've just got a nose for bullshit, man. What can I say? Yeah. And that's going to come in handy whenever we're talking about rumors that are kind of like fake news, uh, because I, I want to cover that when it comes up. Um, Especially like, yeah. you know, people who are listening that have seen Captain Marvel and followed its release, uh, this would be a big time to talk about that. But we're going to get into yeah. that a little bit in our main discussion and we're a little past it now. So maybe, you know, next week if we're covering something and somebody's like, oh, there's a sequel coming out already or so-and-so got fired off that movie, uh, you know, then maybe we can talk about it. But for now, yeah. we want to cover, what was it again? We were going to cover something that's relevant to Captain Marvel. Uh, we were going to just discuss our thoughts on the upcoming uh, Avengers Endgame. Right. So yeah. what what are those thoughts? What do they look like? They look kind of conceptual at the moment. I'm, I'm not entirely <laughs> certain what's going to happen with Endgame. I have some theories about time travel, which everyone seems to have, because mm -hmm. I feel like that's the only way they're going to be able to get back at Thanos. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm interested to see what's happening. There seems to be some rumors flying around that there seems to be dual timelines going on, which I'm quite interested in and seeing if that's the case, because there's like different bits in the trailers where Nat's got blonde hair and then, you know, Black, Black Widow, sorry. And then she's got red hair and then she's got blonde and red hair like she's <laughs> she's growing out the blonde no, or something. No, that's the timelines merging. When the timelines yeah. merge, your hair yeah. changes. <laughs> it's both <laughs> colors. You get highlights. Um, yeah. What do you think about, uh, I, I think the dual timeline theory is, is uh, sound. I'm not sure if I, if I believe it, but the movie's going to be three hours long. Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. Three hours I, and two minutes. Yeah, I feel yeah. like they could pull off, um, here's what the Avengers were doing in an alternate timeline or an alternate reality, and it kind of coincides with, with them trying to figure out how to undo Thanos' snap. Uh, I can yeah. kind of see that working. Speaking of which, though, what do you think of those? Like I, The one thing, though, too, I got to say is... They like to bait and switch a lot and, and Kansas City shuffle with the trailers. Like in, in Infinity War, um, Hulk was in Wakanda in the trailers. But as we know from seeing the movie, they faked that to like kind of misdirect. 
um, because yeah. Hulk, we never, we only see Hulk at the very beginning of that movie. After that, he kind of is impotent and doesn't come out. I think it's supposed to be an impotency joke anyway. Um, yeah. that's how, that's how it read to me. <laughs> um, but, but like, yeah, so we don't see him in Wakanda. We see him in the Hulk, we see, uh, Bruce in the Hulkbuster suit. But in this yeah. one, I'm wondering, cause there's a, a shot where they're walking in their white in their new, new, really flashy white outfits. And yeah. you see Tony Stark in one, but he's supposed to be off lost in space somewhere, but you also see yeah. Nebula wearing one. So it's like, you know, like, did they, do they make it back to Earth and then they all go somewhere else in those white suits? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Those white suits I've read are like, um, are for going into the quantum realm, which mm. would make sense with Ant-Man. But then Ant-Man's supposed to be stuck in the quantum realm, but in the trailers, he's clearly out of the quantum realm. So, like... There's a lot going on here. There is a lot going on. It's going to be cool to see how they unpack it all. Like I have like the utmost confidence in the Russo brothers, the directors of these movies, to be able yeah. to kind of, I don't know, spin all those basketballs because they've been doing it pretty well for a while now. Like Civil War was their first real, like, can we, you know... Can we actually make a movie that 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 honors all these characters? Still has like a A, B, and C plot. Still has some yeah. character growth, and whatever. And people's mileage vary on the team up movies, yeah, and you know things like that. But I think they're they're uh, special because um, you can follow a storyline that involves so many characters, and they'll have a part to play. And Infinity War yeah. was sort of like the, the the slam dunk of like, oh, they can do this. This is actually a thing that can be done, even though there's always people who say that it can't be every time. There's still people yeah. saying, oh, Endgame is going to be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sink under its own bloat. If there's too much, there's too many people, it's too big. Uh, but they yeah. said that about every other one. So yeah. I, I think it's going to be all right. They said that about Infinity War, but then yeah. I felt like it wasn't deep enough. I felt like there wasn't, it was kind of surface level. Like rewatching it, I've rewatched it this week just to mm -hmm. remember like what was happening. And like rewatching it, I kind of feel like it was like, there just wasn't enough to it. It was kind of like, oh, you know, Spider Man and Iron Man are over here and they're doing this. And then we're in Wakanda and we're doing this. And there wasn't any like, it never really went. I guess I kind of wanted it to be two films. I think that's probably my problem. I just wanted a lot more. I feel like 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 the thing about the, the like we're getting kind of we're getting deep into this so we're just going to indulge ourselves a little bit so listener just know that most of the time we talk about news and rumors we might not like get into a discussion about Infinity War but there's something I want to address <laughs> like I, I think uh, what's interesting what's so interesting about the MCU movies and this is something people don't really talk about very much is that they're largely about what a superhero even is and not the individual ones so much although they they all kind of connect to this idea. But they don't assume like like in the DC universe, superheroes are generally cops. Like they're they're yeah. there to protect the status quo. They're law and order, right? In the Marvel universe, they kind of start out that way. A lot of them have military backgrounds, for instance. Uh, yeah. Which which you know, there's criticisms that you can make about the 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 kind of coziness between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the military industrial complex. People do make yeah. those criticisms, and I, I have a hard time. Uh, denying those criticisms because they're they're often fair, uh, even yeah. though the movies are often critical of mil like military adventurism and stuff, um, as yeah. we'll get into later. But anyway, I think Infinity War is kind of about whether or not you can sacrifice. It's like the trolley problem, which is a famous philosophical problem. Um, they explored it really well in the in the show The Good Place. It's this idea that like if you sacrifice one person to save five, or five to save one, or how do you do a moral calculus? about like, yeah. whether a life is, 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 whether you can give up a life to serve like what you think of as a greater end. So all the characters in Infinity War are caught up in that moral question. Um, yeah. And that moral question is, is not necessarily 
uh, essential to being a superhero, but it kind of is. If you have the power to save lives, to control who lives and who dies through whatever means, um, wh- where do your responsibilities lie? Like, do you sacrifice yourself? Do you sacrifice? Yeah. Do you let friends sacrifice themselves? Do you actually sacrifice other people intentionally, uh, the way Thanos, <laughs> Thanos does? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and like, what just what can justify that, if anything? And so the whole movie uh, spins around that question. And uh, I don't, I never see people talk about that. Uh, like, Infinity War isn't, I don't think, as deep uh, as some of the other Marvel movies have been. Particularly, I think Age of Ultron probably has the most to say about this idea of like. What is a superhero? What sort of superhero do? Is a superhero they're just there to punch people that have powers, yeah. or what, like what's their job and what's their role in the world? Um, and the kind of realistic consequences that could happen in a world where you can like fight a robot that can lift a chunk of the ground off, the, like you know, yeah. and, and crush a country under its own, <laughs> it's under its own landmass. So like ridiculous <laughs> things like that happen, and and these philosophical questions like kind of can can either be there or not, and I feel like they're often there. Uh, in the Marvel movies, even Infinity yeah. War, although maybe not as is, maybe maybe it's not as uh, as well executed as it could have been. That could be a fair criticism. Yeah. Of that movie. But they were they were trying to do a lot with it. So mm-hmm. so, but they still managed to do a lot with what they had. It was just perhaps it could have been a little bit deeper. Yeah, that's like my my only criticism really. But but those philosophical problems that you know they do so well in the movies is is a big integral part of the comics. So that's that's right. also you know a big like you know well done to the producers and the directors of these films and the writers is that they do bring across the stories and the moral problems from the comics really well so it'll be interesting to see where they take it in endgame yeah i totally agree with that like i I think uh i wonder if endgame will really be about the same problem the same questions and the possible because like if if it's going to do alternate timelines and shit what would be interesting to me is if they explore the outcomes so what if Thanos yeah. is right? What if what if Tony is right? What if uh, Captain America is right? Um, what if Vision is right? Like, because they all have different ethoses. Um, if that's, yeah. You know that they're trying to espouse. Like Ca- Captain, uh, what makes Captain America Captain America is he's willing to sacrifice himself, but not willing to sacrifice anyone else. And he feels like yeah. he's responsible, even if it's Vision just doing what Captain America inspires him to do, being like, "I'm going to sacrifice myself," like you would, Steve. And Steve's yeah. like, no, you can't. Because in the end, Steve sort of, he can be very paternalistic and very, that's sort of his flaw. Like he, he takes, he's like Tony in that way. He takes responsibility for everyone, whether they want yeah. him to or not. So I'd like to see uh, all the different consequences of, of all this stuff play out so they can actually make some kind of sub- substantive claim about moral calculus and whether it's ever okay to sacrifice one life to save many lives or what. Because there's people who believe that uh, they believe in utilitarianism or something like that, where they think, you know, if I can save one one person, or if I can kill one person and save 100 people, I would do that in a heartbeat. That's just an obvious thing. 100 lives yeah. have more value than one life. Um, other people would say no. If you have to sacrifice anyone, then it's not, that's not a decision that you can actually morally make. Uh, and I think that's sort of Steve's position. Like he says, we don't sacrifice people. Like we don't, yeah. uh, you know, we don't do that, right? And uh, And that might be a naive position. And I'd like to see yeah. if where the movie goes with that. There are rumors that um, that a main character dies in Endgame. So, right. and a lot of people are saying that it is Captain America because of the things that Chris Evans has posted on Twitter. Now, whether that's right. a misdirection or not, but it would be interesting to see if it is Captain America who decides to sacrifice sacrifice himself for the greater good. Yeah, and it feels in character for him to do that too. But also, like it, like I always think it's got to be it's got to be Tony. Um, because, uh, that's sort of been his struggle. His whole character arc is about like self-interest versus like 
selflessness and what selflessness looks like to a narcissist. You know, because yeah. Tony causes as many problems as he solves by be by trying to like um, preemptively protect people as an abstract. Yeah. You know, so he's kind of like an Elon Musk or, you know, trying to give us the future that we that he wants, whether we like it or not. That's sort of his yeah. whole thing. And if he was to give himself up and die to save everyone else and to like um, hopefully like foment some kind of change, that would be interesting. But I also like the idea of him retiring, getting married. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, that's, I want yeah, that's him to another have a happy rumor. life. Yeah, you, like like maybe you know, um, the idea of any of them dying makes me sad. Yeah, but but we'll see. I mean, we've been I've been with these characters. We all have been for at least this version of them. Yeah, for like for a very long 10 time. years, eleven years. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where it all wraps up, um, and yeah. then what happens next. Because some people are acting like Endgame is the end, like that that's that's the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it. Uh, period, yeah. end of sentence. And I don't, that's not true. Like, it's going to no. keep going. And we're going to see some of these characters that don't die but won't be as often in things. We're going to see them again. They're going to pop up again. Or they'll be mentioned. They'll still keep that, that shit going for as long as they possibly can. There, there'll be yeah. another Avengers movie in five years or even sooner. It'll just be a different cast of characters. You know what I mean? It'll be just a yeah. different group of Avengers. They're not going to stop well, doing that. There's like thousands of Marvel characters. Yeah, like you're, there's always going to be a Marvel film if the, if they feel like they're going to make money and it's it's a money maker. So it's never going to end, really. Yeah, until until it, it is no longer profitable or there's no more stories left to be told. I mean, if yeah. the if all the good creatives that are working on this, like uh, Kevin Feige and all those guys, if they move on, um, you know, like like and do other things. Uh, and and the quality level dips enough and people stop caring, then it'll happen. Maybe they'll try reinventing the way the DCEU has tried to do a couple times, or they'll just let it let it go. And and twenty years from now, westerns will come back. <laughs> you know, like in the forties, <laughs> like because people don't know this, but like because uh, people always talk about superhero fatigue and stuff, and all the superhero movies that come out, there's like five or six a year. Uh, at, in the past, there were other genres of films that dominated uh, the cinema this way. Um, like in the in the forties and fifties, it was westerns. There was a new yeah. western in cinemas like every every other week, right? Um, and they were like there all the time. And it, it kind of people do argue that it hit like kind of a critical mass, and then the western disappeared largely for like thirty years. And you only get to see like there's only like one or two westerns made a year now because most people won't touch the genre. Um, so maybe that's what's hap what's going to happen with superhero movies. That's like something we can maybe return to after we see Endgame. Because uh, Endgame, I think, will be a moment where everybody kind of does take stock on where yeah. all this is going, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the, speaking of, uh, of where things are going, they haven't exactly been shy about Captain Marvel being who they're going to center the future on, at least for the foreseeable future. The way that Tony Stark was like the linchpin of yeah. the Marvel Universe up to this point, we know he's not going to be, whether he lives or dies, he's not going to be the the nexus around which all this stuff spins uh, going forward after this year. It'll probably yeah. be Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, and maybe not even Brie Larson all the time. They might give the Captain Marvel mantle to different characters. They might start actually doing that once this era is over, because as we know from the comics, that happens all the time. Yeah, and I have a, I have stuff to say about that when we get into the actual Captain Marvel discussion, because there is like... Easter eggs. Yeah, right. I think I think that'll be some fun because I think I saw some of those too. Should we get into our Captain Marvel discussion? Let's go for it, man. All right, let's jump into it. So why don't you start us off here? Because uh, I've got thoughts, but a lot of them are 
old thoughts, like things that I, you know, that I, I thought when I saw it, but I, I've had time to think about them since, or maybe I want to see the movie again before I really, you know, so why don't you go, go hard here? So I, I was, a, I'm, well, I was, um, I am a big Captain Marvel fan. I've read the comic books. Well, the Carol, the Carol Danvers, uh, storyline anyway, that's where I started. Um, only recently did I get into, uh, reading the Captain Marvel comics because I, I caught, um, I used to watch this show on a YouTube with a with a friend of mine um called the the New Avengers New Avengers sorry it was like a, a cartoon right uh series that I think was released on Nickelodeon or something um but I got really into this cartoon and um and then into Captain Marvel from that because I really liked her character even though she was kind of a little bit underutilized in that so she i was really anticipating this film coming out i was so excited whenever i saw the the trailers i was like turning the volume up i was like i can't <laughs> wait for this like i need to know what's happening even right. though the trailers were rubbish <laughs> because they didn't i, I, I don't know oh, what they I don't were doing agree. With the trailers. i don't agree i don't i just didn't like them yeah uh, but i was so excited and the first time i went to see it I was so disappointed. Like I came, I don't know. I and as you know, because we spoke on that day, I was not well. I wasn't. I was in the worst mood in, of my life. I just, I, I don't know, like what was happening. But I, I came out disappointed. And I've been to see it again. I've been to see it twice, and the second time I loved it. So, I think maybe the first time I went in with like the weight of my expectations from right. the comic books to be like, Oh, this is, this is her. This is my hero. Like, I'm so excited. I can't wait. And, and then to watch it in a bad mood and just be w ill and every little thing was like niggling at me, you know, like Fury's eye pissed me off. And, <laughs> oh, and, we'll talk about that too. <laughs> yeah. And You're just, hitting on all my, all my stuff that I want to talk about. <laughs> this is why we're doing a podcast, man. Because yeah. we, we fucking nail the same things, but Got like, things to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching it again, I, I liked what they did with it. I, I felt like um, they were, they did a good job with her character. She's got the same, she's got the right amount of sass. She's got the right amount of sarcasm. She uses humor as a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like, they, Brie Larson nailed her character. I, I have, like, no problems with that. My I think my main criticism with the film in general is that it was uh, poorly scripted, I felt. Um, and the plot wasn't the best. I feel like mm. the, the problems I have were to do with like production level stuff. Like I didn't particularly like the direction of the film. And there were a few things that I kind of felt like were a little bit in your face um, with like pushing the whole like the women thing. Because like in the comic books, Captain Marvel's kind of a little bit gender neutral. The fact she's a woman doesn't really come into it at all. She's just super powerful and she does what she does because she can and she will always do what she can to help and she knows her power and where she can take it. So in, in, in the comic books, there was never really this discussion of, oh, you're a woman that does things. But in the film, they've, right. kind, of they've kind of pushed it a little bit, which I didn't feel like they needed to do because she would have been an inspiring character without pushing the fact that she was female. And then, for example, um, in the comic books, uh, Marvell, um, who is uh, Lawson in the film, uh, right. is, a, is a man. Uh, she's oh, not a woman. The, yeah, in the movie, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. And they've who, who swapped plays her it. again? Um, it's 
I can't remember her I'll, name. I'll get her. I'll get her. I'm, 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 yeah. Okay, so this is a special part of our podcasting uh, listeners at home where, where one of us, you can maybe hear me typing, one of us pops up that IMDb page so you can remember somebody's name. Um, yeah. Annette Benning, who I love. Uh, yes. I, I can't believe I forgot her name, but yeah, Annette Benning plays um, Dr. Lawson, who is uh, also Marvell, right? Which is a big yeah. gender, it's a gender flip from the comics for sure, yeah. Yeah, so I, she did a good job, and I, I liked her. I just I was questioning why they felt the, the need yeah. the need to do that. Like that's what I wanted to know. I was like, I wanted to kind of like discuss with the writers and or you know with the directors and something. Just be like, okay, just just talk me through your thoughts here. Like, what was the need for her to be a woman, kind of thing, without without like disparaging against women in general or anything? And I, I get that we're doing this whole like women power. Like, and obviously it's needed because there are still like issues around the world, but I kind of feel sometimes that pushing them at this level kind of creates, uh, animosity without them needing to be any animosity about something that should be normal. If that makes any sense. Yeah, the, it does. I want to touch on all this. Like there's a lot to unpack. Like we've we gone, gone from talking about general thoughts, the movie to yeah. Brie Larson as the, in the, in the role to, um, criticisms of it that I really want to return to because I want to ask you some yeah. questions about those. And then, of course, like, you know, the pop culture or cult general cultural impact, um, yeah. all of which is super interesting and we'll get into all of it. Um, but let's start with uh, general things about the movie. So like, yeah. uh, or, or, you know what, actually, let's be more specific than that even. Let's talk about Brie Larson. So yes. you were excited to see this because, you know, you have a lot of familiarity with the character. Uh, I yeah. was excited to see it, like, because it's a Marvel movie, you know, and, and who was making it. It was interesting, the idea of these indie filmmakers getting a, a superhero movie, wanted to see what yeah. they would do with it. The cast in general was interesting to me, the fact that it was a bit of a prequel in some ways. Not really a prequel, but it takes place in the 90s. So it sets up or returns to some characters we've seen in other movies, like Korath the Pursuer and uh, Ronan the Accuser from Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, we see some of these people earlier in their lives. It's kind of got some nice intertextual continuity stuff. Lots of little yeah. fun Easter eggs. That was all exciting to me, but the main draw was Brie Larson. I love yeah. Brie Larson. I've been following her since like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, I think was the first oh, yeah. first time I remember seeing her in something. And uh, I think she's awesome. Um, yep. I think she can do anything. And, she's a great uh, actress. Yeah. And, and I mean, like you said, she she's subtle in this movie and some people complain that she was wooden, but her her performance is super super physical like in a way that like i think uh scarlett johansson is particularly good at like scarlett johansson yeah. uh is a great physical actress like she does things with her body if you watch all of her other other movies um that are interesting like i don't think anyone else could have played a white version of makoto from uh uh or major kusanagi from um ghost in the shell yeah so she did this yeah. thing where she walked around with this tension in her shoulders and this physical yeah. you know and another another actor that i think is underrated that's really good at that stuff is keanu reeves he oh, might not yeah. have the best line delivery all the time or the best range in terms of like emoting but he, he does stuff with his body when he's performing that that is uh you know always interesting and always different role to role yeah and i think brie larson i didn't know that she was that kind of an actress uh on top of all the other stuff she's good at but she is and here in this movie you can see that um she does little things with her face things that people don't notice as performance necessarily because they're looking for bigger stuff they're looking for yeah. showy dramatic moments uh big expressive facial expressions <laughs> stuff like yeah. that and and she's a much more like kind of uh she's a kind of a stoic character you know, she's yeah. got more of a, like, she almost feels like more of a, uh, 
cool cucumber male kind of tropey archetypey type of guy like that's yeah. sort of what she feels like almost like until the movie gets into its uh dramatic and thematic uh content which is all about you know vulnerability and, and stuff that isn't traditionally masculine but there's some, yeah. some ways in which uh carol danvers can feel androgynous uh in terms of archetypal stuff like what kind of character she is and as a list of like character traits you would want in a story um yeah personality type shit but she's like uh irrevocably 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 a woman uh and this movie uh doesn't doesn't shy away from that same with how kind of wonder woman made its its like subtext and its themes a lot about what being a woman is and i think that's why casting brie larson is is like a good idea because she's a bit of an activist right um she she famously some of the controversy around this movie was caused by her because she famously now or infamously depending on your point of view uh (laughs) wanted more women and people of color to be to get spots in press junket interviews uh during the marketing and pr campaign the promotional campaign around a movie she's used to she said she was used to answering questions um from white dudes because most film critics and most film journalists are white dudes uh most most any everybody in almost every institution or job type in north america at least is a white dude that's just the default right um and that is a thing that we consider normal or has been normalized and she's pushing back on that she's saying let's we have to actually make a conscious effort to make room for other types of people so that there's a new normal um and it's not it's gonna be painful at first and people are not going to like it necessarily or it's going to feel threatening, but we'll get past it. And that's sort of what she was trying to say. And then, of course, you know, the usual suspects who try to boycott things and start Internet yeah. campaigns to, like, bring down the social justice warriors. Those people got all mad online and made a big fuss thinking that they could somehow affect the box office of this movie. And Captain Marvel is on track to make a billion dollars. Uh, ha ha, trolls. Yeah. You know, good job there. You know, and they don't realize that, that their influence is only so big. Um, yeah. And the influence just brings more attention to, well, right. to the film in, in a way. It's kind of like, it's kind of a good marketing ploy in a way, because it's like, we get these people to kick up a fuss and yeah. make a big thing about it. And, you know, anyone who wants to like stick it in the face of these trolls is going to go to the theater and is going to go see this film. So in a way, they're just sure. making revenue for the film itself just by ha- not having a life. And that's partly because they don't get how this all all works in the first place. Like they think that they're, um, people make the mistake, I think, often online of thinking that whatever they're seeing reflected back on them online in terms of culture is the way people outside of their their ecosystem think. And we were talking about yeah. this a little bit earlier, but like even so film Twitter is only a, a slice, a tiny slice of Twitter. And Twitter is only a tiny slice of Internet culture. And Internet culture is only a tiny slice of actual culture. So a lot of people don't give a shit what what people think on Rotten Tomatoes or how many YouTube videos you can make calling out Brie Larson for being an SJW. Like that's supposed to be a bad thing anyway. Um, yeah. there, there are all these premises that you have to agree with to begin with in order to like follow the logic to this idea that, oh, this this movie is it hates men or something like that. Or they hate men or they don't want men to see this movie, which is just a ridiculous claim. They want yeah. everyone to see this movie like, you know. Yeah. They're willing to push uh, uh, a social justice oriented if you want to even go that far. But like you said, it just should just be normal. We should have movies yeah. about female superheroes and they should be normal and they shouldn't be controversial. And the movies themselves shouldn't feel the need, if they even do, to comment on that status or that context. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to be a woman and feel like everything has to be a big moment or a big political statement because it's so bizarrely controversial that there should be a superhero woman, right? In a yeah. movie. There's only been that, two, that, right? Yeah. Like this, this and Wonder Woman are the two female-led superhero movies in our, in our like, 
time. And that is yeah, insane. I think that's what annoys me the most. Yeah. It's just like, I will enjoy this a superhero movie. I will enjoy uh, any female in a superhero role just out of the principle that I, I enjoy seeing women on screen. Like, I right. just, I hate, I, it really bugs me that it has to be such a big thing all the time. Like, every time something big comes out for a woman, there's always this massive discussion about, oh, a woman's got this role, blah, blah, blah. And then people kick off about it. And then there's a big argument about it. And I'm just like, why does there need to be drama about it? Why can't it just be congratulations to this person who's landed this, you know, life-changing role, like really well done. You do a fantastic job. The story and the, you know, the morals of this, of this script is, is fantastic. You know, you know, kudos to you, kudos to the writers, kudos to everyone involved. Like, why is it gotta be, why is it gotta be negative all the time? That's what I, that's, I think that's what bugs me the most is I just want people to be positive about things. Just be like, yes, good, finally. <laughs> woman superhero let's let's keep this going let's keep the momentum yeah. let's let's get them involved let's not make everything about gender let's not make everything about race let's not make everything about you know but who a, do you think is issue are the ones like this is the thing that we, we got into last time we talked about this yeah uh, i think that there is a specific like like from what i've seen and and like uh and from what i've like learned like uh through anti-oppression and and education about that um there's there's certain parts of our society uh, that function off of things like a scarcity mindset or a zero-sum yeah. game mindset where the idea of more, more rights... So, for instance, forget rights for a second. More movies starring women uh, means yeah. less movies starring men. More movies starring men of color, like Black Panther, means less movies starring white men. Um, so there's this idea that there's like this this finite amount of things that can be done or things that can exist and taking away from the dominant group that we consider normal or default through like, when you stop and think about it, like there's no way that that should be the way it is, but yeah. there's a sort of like insidious underlying sense of the world where, where things, the status quo seems right to us and anything that changes it seems wrong. And that's kind of what's going on. It's this idea that, Oh, you know, Captain Marvel being a thing means um, it's some kind of threatening to some other kind of status quo. Uh, yeah, but they don't. What people don't realize is that in their little sandbox, the, the people like them, their echo chambers or whatever, that's one little part of of the broader global whole. And like yeah. people who don't look like me or think like me or talk like me or speak the same language as me with completely different experiences from me, they like and respond to things differently. And sometimes uh, they respond to the same things that I do in a different way. And all of that is completely valid. And I mean, money talks, right? So how does yeah. Black Panther make a billion dollars globally if it's just a movie for, for black Africans to feel better about themselves and that's the only audience? You know, how does Captain Marvel make a billion dollars in the world if the only people that are supposed to like the movie are like are like third wave intersectional feminist cultural Marxist cucks? Like what is yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't make any sense. So there's this like yeah. there's this kind of like perversion of like the or like how things really work that drives this stuff. And I, I want to put place the blame on the right people. Like, I mean, there are always, um, identity politics focused, especially younger people who are just learning about this stuff. And something that I learned when I was in college was that as soon as somebody gets into justice of any kind, whether it's racial justice, economic justice, any kind of social justice, really, when they yeah. first start learning about injustice, they get really angry and they get, and they act like they're the first people to ever hear about 
you know, let's yeah. say <laughs> slavery or something or, or uh, misogyny or, or institutional racism. Like, like they act like they're the first people to ever hear about this. So, like they're like looking around at society they're like, what the fuck? Why, why aren't we doing something about this? What's going on? And yeah. they get really irate and they, and they don't have an outlet for that because their family doesn't want to hear it. So they go online yeah. and, uh, and that, that drives a lot of the like um, call out culture within lefty or social justice circles where people like, you know, there's a purity politics where people are like, well, if, if you like Captain Marvel, you're not feminist in the right way. Or if you like Captain Marvel, you're feminist in the wrong, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of this kind of like fighting, infighting. And that's all true. That's all a thing. Yeah. But the real reason why it's controversial and there has to be this big topic about it or this big discussion about it, I should say, or that the filmmakers would choose, for instance, to c come back to what you were saying, to make Marvel a woman, is they might ask themselves something like, why is white male the default? Why should it yeah. be? Why not a woman? Why not a black woman? Why not, you know, an older woman? Why not, why not this or that, right? And yeah. uh, there's a certain amount to which, like, you have to ask if you're going to adapt something, whether the thing is, is like, essential to, to the character. So is being a woman essential for Captain Marvel? Yes, because Captain Marvel being a woman is part of her whole character arc um, and part of, like, where she comes from and her perspective on things. Um, a lot of her storylines revolve around her being a woman. There's, there's a really controversial storyline in the comics I think you probably heard of where she gets pregnant. Yes. And, but she's like raped yeah. and gaslit and the other yeah. Avengers don't do anything about it because they don't see it that way. And it, was un it wasn't until decades later, comic readers going back to that story arc being like, whoa, wait a minute, this is all fucked up. And they yeah. called it into question and are like, this yeah. is maybe not a good story for these reasons. And we kind of get to do that. We, we get to have perspective that we gain later on and look back on things. And that doesn't mean we should necessarily overjudge yeah. like people who didn't know better or that, that argument. But there's also the other argument that people always knew better. There's always actually pushback on even the most heinous of, or even the most normalized of like social injustices. There's always people who yeah. resist them. So all this is to say that I think Really, we're talking about a uh, an ever louder group of young, mostly white, mostly male people on the internet who are what they call terminally online, and those are the yeah. people who drive a lot of the the controversy that ends up, you know, like there's this whole thing where if you troll someone, it takes two seconds to troll someone. It takes way longer to respond to a troll to explain yeah. why what they're why their why their troll shit is actually not logical or whatever you want to say. Uh, yeah. factual, right? So there's this whole thing where, where just, just the ability to make us all talk about how important it is that another movie comes out that's like, uh, finally, Marvel makes a, a woman-led movie. Like, you know, there's this thing that we're making us talk about that because of how long it takes and how much, how complicated it is, is a victory for the trolls in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I just don't understand the mindset. I think that's I know, the, my biggest weird. issue is that I can't put myself in their shoes to, to understand, like, why... Why do you need to spend your life being so negative about something that doesn't really affect you in any way? Like, this film doesn't affect you. If you don't want to go see it, don't go and see it. If you don't want to hear the message of it, don't hear the message of it. Like, you don't need to be constantly fighting something that doesn't affect your life at all. I, I think it's just the negativity that I, I, I really don't like. I just want people to be positive about, yeah. <laughs> a, a, about something that's fantastic uh, for women around the world and fantastic for, you know, representation for everyone involved. I just, I uh, feel like I most just, people yeah. agree with you. Like, I feel like your average person, I mean, looking at the box office, uh, agrees with you and the, the trolls know it. So they create like, they create conspiracy theories that Disney actually, 
bought out a bunch of theaters so that the the movies looked like it was making more money than it actually did. Uh, never mind the fact that like there's there's apparatuses or apparati that monitor that stuff because they're they're interested yeah. in tracking like tickets sold and stuff like that. Like there's there's people who take who like look into that. It'd be really hard to fake it essentially, right? Yeah. Uh, in, but, in, in but numbers Disney do that for every film that they do though. Like but Disney buy out theaters for and make sure their film is like number one film right. like through its opening weekend for everything they do. It's not a There's a distinction to be made Marvel. here though. They don't buy tickets that nobody goes and sits in the in the in the seat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that yeah. that's the that's the conspiracy theory. The idea that okay Captain nobody bought tickets to see Captain Marvel. What was really happening is Disney paid theaters like as if it was tickets, pr- tickets sold and, yeah. and would basically buy out a theater, like buy out a screening of a movie and then uh, nobody's actually there, right? So it makes yeah. it look like their movie's making a bunch of money. First of all, that's an insane thing to do because movie, yeah. like movies like Captain Marvel cost like probably, if you conclude marketing, somewhere south to $200 million, maybe a lot less than that because Captain Marvel's what, like a mid-budget uh, yeah. Marvel movie, which is one of the reasons why maybe you had some problems with with the direction of it. It is a little flat yeah. uh, compared to something like Infinity War. Anyways, yes. um, I agree with that. It's about the house style, right? So yeah. the the movie though, like, isn't isn't that expensive to make? There's no way they're going to spend a billion dollars to make sure that it looks like it made money. That doesn't make sense. They could make five other movies for that. <laughs> like, why not do that and just say, okay, Captain Marvel didn't work. Let's do four other ones, and and you know whatever. One of them might make a billion. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah. So th- it's just magical thinking and. Um, that's but the the other thing that Disney does do is they 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 make they make theaters sign really uh, predatory deals at least if you look at Disney this way as a predator um, exploitative might be a better word where yeah. they they make theaters sign uh, deals where they can they show so for instance at my screening all the VIP theaters all the twenty dollar adults only you can drink there and they have really comfy seats that was all Captain Marvel. No other movie yeah. coming out got that. Like even us, which is the biggest movie, uh, the second biggest movie of the year, I think, uh, after Captain Marvel. Um, us didn't get to play those screens because Disney bought essentially signed like signed a deal with theaters to to control those screens. So yeah, yeah. tickets are still being sold, but the the viewer, the the moviegoer, doesn't have an option necessarily of going to see. Uh, a different movie in in that type of theater uh, uh, context. They have to yeah. see a Disney movie if there is one. And Disney's been doing that for all their releases, Marvel or otherwise, for for years. You're right. That's like a thing yeah. they do. And every theater trains hate it. And uh, people who are really deeply embedded in in like the the industry of cinema and the industry of like exhibition of cinema, so actually playing movies in theaters, they all have critiques of it too. Like Disney's not a it's a popular company if you're a 12 year old girl or a 12 year old boy. But yeah. or twelve year old envy, but like you, you know what I mean. Like it's it's not as you get older. Like I, I should. I, that's kind of like not well said. What I'm trying to say is, if you're young enough and naive enough about things like capitalism, uh, Disney can be. You can just kind of like naively uh, enjoy Disney and what they do, and not think yeah. about the co- the cost of it. Uh, for instance, their acquisition of uh, of of Fox. The only yeah. people that think that's a good thing are are young people who don't know any better and people with, uh, who, with, you know, that, that just don't care because yay X-Men, you know, that's <laughs> like, they don't understand how, how like monopolies are bad for a yeah. bunch of really important reasons. And that Disney as a company, even though they do push, uh, a, a fairly progressive um, representational agenda, if that if you even want to call it an agenda. They're pretty good about representation is a better way to put it maybe. Um, yeah. That's still them just being ahead of the curve in terms of understanding the markets. They know that there are people of color, there are gay and trans people out there, there are uh, all, manner of, all manner of diversity out there, and that's just money on the table. 
that like yeah. the DC universe tends to leave because they hire white objectivist Christians to make their movies. So the, <laughs> the values that they end up reflecting end up being those values and those values yeah. leave people out because they're inherently dehumanizing to whole swaths of the human population. So if Marvel yeah. can be inclusive and say, hey, black women, there are a bunch of characters in our movies for you. Black women yeah. are going to go see those movies. Not because they yeah. only want to see movies about black women, which is one of those like dog whistles that the trolls will say. They'll be like, oh, why does it have to, you know, like what, that's racist. Why does it have to, people have to like be like you? Isn't that more racist? No, it's just, you know, it's not an exclusive thing. It's just yeah. that everybody enjoys connecting to characters on a number of different levels. And it's nice yeah. to see characters that are, that remind you of you. And exactly. most of people who, yeah. And most people who push back on that look like me. And there's <laughs> no end of movies with brunette white dudes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the default. That's most characters, most main characters, especially in video games, movies, books, TV shows. Most of yeah. them look like me. They're a little taller and a little handsomer than I am, but uh, you know, <laughs> they still generally look like me. So and there will like, be in every film. Yeah, like there, there will will not be a film out there that doesn't have some sort of character like that in that. Even Black Panther had a token white guy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, and it was exactly <laughs> that, right? A send up of that yeah. trope. So I mean, th this is all like interesting stuff. Uh, I'm glad we're talking about it because we didn't really get a chance to last time we talked about Captain Marvel. We didn't get a chance to get into all this stuff. Um, and as we go through the, these, these movies, and we, especially if we're going to talk about us next week, which is, you know, listeners at home, that's our current plan. Don't, don't you know, don't freak out if we don't do that. But we're, gonna, we're planning on talking about us next week. We're, yeah. This is going to come up again because or this kind of stuff, because this kind of stuff is everywhere in our culture because everything is inherently political. At least that's my perspective. It's not yeah. like... It's not like it should always be a fight. I agree with you about that, Sam. But like, uh, one of the reasons why um, it is a fight is because there are forces that there, like, there are people who who reject the idea that everyone should be treated equally, at least equally in terms of opportunity. Which is just a ridiculous mindset to be in. I just uh, don't I understand you're, those people. You're living all. in a country founded on the idea of that. Like, probably uh, the most pure expression of that idea in any like constitutional type document and yet yeah. a country that can like conceptually and, and practically fails on that all the time. And I mean, yeah. Canada does too. Like we're not, we're not angels up here. We have a good reputation, but we have white supremacy here too. And it's only on the rise. Like it is everywhere else because of these ideas of scarcity and these ideas of, of, of the threat of other people getting the things that white people have enjoyed for so long. It's just like, like an on and on thing. Um, yeah. So how do you feel about, about moving on into talking about the movie specifically again? Like maybe talking about some criticisms of the movie and also some things we liked about it. We can get on yeah. from the, the, the political context. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I have a, like a bit of a tie into the political context about representation okay. and stuff like that. There's a bit of an Easter egg Hit it. in the Captain Marvel film in that uh, the daughter of her best friend, um, Monica. Monica, yeah, yeah. The, the daughter, uh, she is uh, actually in the comic books is an iteration of Captain Marvel uh, right. in like a present timeline. Um, so she's like, so representation wise, like coming into this future uh, now with Endgame, I'm kind of hoping that they're going to bring her into this. They're going to make her character, uh, you know, be a part of of the the universe because i believe her her before she was uh captain marvel she was called photon i think which was her mother's uh, uh tag name on her yeah. on her jet so right that was a really cool easter egg that they didn't really do a lot with in the film they didn't really kind of make they kind of had a few little like 
lines in there that kind of made you think, oh, maybe, maybe she's something. But for anyone who doesn't know the character, they wouldn't have like been able to pick that up, which I think is like part of my criticism of the film in general is it doesn't do a lot. It doesn't do very well at explaining things. I think that might be you coming into it with like, like, so if you look at other, for instance, like look at something like Black Panther, like, or uh, Doctor Strange. If you're a big fan of Black Panther or Doctor Strange, you've read all the comics, there's like a bunch of stuff that they can bake into that. And like, it's stuff that you get, right? Yeah. Even if it's like, uh, like for instance, a call sign written on the side of a jet, like a visual reference that lasts two seconds, right? Yeah. Um, and you get those things. So so the, the game that they're playing, the tightrope that Marvel's always walking with this stuff, and they do it really well because ultimately the movies aren't really for people who are super into the comics. Yeah. It's more like bonus content for them, right? Um, what they're, the tightrope they're walking is creating expectations that they aren't going to pay off by yeah. including those things. But they also, so they have this like record, I think, of like throwing a bunch of stuff like that out there that's there for people who have like an investment in whatever character uh, and then they pay off some of them. Yeah. So for instance, we might see Monica Rambeau become Captain Marvel 10 years from now if they do a time skip or something like that and the kid can grow up and become Captain Marvel. They might yeah. even make her into Miss Marvel, although I feel like they shouldn't do that um, because Miss Marvel was like the first Muslim superhero and that yeah. they should leave that alone and just keep that the way it is. Um, but like they can do a lot of different things is my point uh, with, with that Easter egg or they can do nothing with it. And it could just be a, a, a site reference for people who like the comics to enjoy. And yeah. I think that every one of these movies has a bunch of that stuff. I don't always get them because I kind of, I can kind of remember trivia about comic books pretty well. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I didn't necessarily read them or or get very invested in them uh, when I was like the right age to be buying comic books. I was reading a lot of stuff. Um, I was reading like Sonic the Hedgehog comics and Archie. You know, I mean, I, like I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't read superhero comics very often because there were, it was too hard to keep track of them. You know what yeah. I mean? But I've I've gone yeah. back and read a bunch. Uh, like I've read the Guardians of the Galaxy run um, from 2005. That is the closest thing to the movie that we got. But the movie yeah. really is its own thing. Um, it's not really like any of the Guardians of the Galaxy comics, but for me, it was fun in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 when all the original Guardians showed up as Ravagers. Um, yeah. Uh, that was really cool because those guys are weirdos from the 60s. A guy made up <laughs> of diamonds and whatever, right? Um, yeah. And Yondu being in it, I knew where Yondu came from. Yondu came from the original 1960s, 70s run of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they just transposed him into <laughs> the contemporary MCU, which is all yeah. very, like, very what the MCU does all the time. Uh, yeah, and some exactly. people were probably bothered by that. Like they wanted a different version of Drax or something like that um, yeah. than the one that they got. But uh, I, I remember there being a criticism about Bradley Cooper. There was a bit of a backlash with Bradley Cooper being cast as Rocket Raccoon because I think in one of the cartoons, Rocket Raccoon has a Cockney accent. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so people were mad that he wasn't going to have a Cockney accent because they didn't believe that Bradley Cooper would do it. And But now you don't hear people complaining about that anymore because just because it isn't what you thought it was going to be doesn't mean the thing that you get isn't good. And I, yeah, I think it's exactly. Yeah. And I, I think like, and I'm not saying that you don't get that. It's obvious that you do because you couldn't have enjoyed the movie otherwise. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that, that was like my initial thoughts was that right. I went the first time I saw it, I didn't like it because it wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be. But the second time I saw it, it was like, oh, this, this is a good film. Like I enjoyed it. So I kind of went in without those expectations. I personally have to relearn that lesson over and over again. Like, the, I, I think I, last time we talked about this, I, I, I mentioned that I didn't like No Country for Old Men the first time I saw it because the whole time I was watching it, I wanted it to be the book kind of. And it mostly yeah. is. So that kind of ended up boring me. I had to like yeah. see it again before I could appreciate it as a film. And, and I had an even, even bigger version of that with Cloud Atlas. 
Uh, first yeah. time I watched Cloud Atlas, I was lukewarm. Second time I watched it, I was bawling like a baby, and I and I and I fell <laughs> in love with it because I I let go of that anticipation. I let go of that checklist in my head of like the adaptation checklist that everybody does, where is this the same as the thing that I recognize? And if it isn't, do I like what they did? And sometimes you don't have enough time uh, to decide. Like you, you, something happens really quickly, and you don't have enough time to be like, do I like that or not? You know, you, you almost like knee jerk don't like it because it isn't familiar, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those people that's like, oh, I read the book first. Yeah. Like, kind yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. kind of like people. And then I, I like, slowly realize that, you know, that, you know, the book isn't necessarily going to be the same as the film. So I don't really need to make that comparison. And the, th- and the book, the thing that people who get really hung up about this forget is the book never stops existing. If you prefer yeah. the book versions of Harry Potter or the movie versions, you can always go back and read or watch whichever one you like better. Um, and my argument would be probably that as people mature, uh, and as people expose themselves to more types of art and media, they will eventually appreciate the things that the other thing does well. Like I get into this all the time about Game of Thrones, especially the last couple seasons, which most people think are, are, are junk. I disagree intensely about that. I think that the last couple seasons are awesome. Um, and I I have a bunch of. I, well, I have a bunch of arguments about how that works as an adaptation, too, which we can get into another time. But if you agree, yeah. that's awesome. Because, uh, yeah, last person I talked about this did not agree. But, like, you know, so I, I don't know. I, it's a lesson I have to learn over and over again, personally. Like, I never, I, I just think it's just safe to say that if, you, if you're watching something that is something you've read the book of or whatever or seen a previous version of, your best bet is to see it twice or, or engage with the thing twice. Once for you to do your checklist and for you to, like, bite your nails as you're wondering what they're going to fuck up. Uh, and then the yeah. second time to just enjoy it for what it is because exactly. it'll make it better. <laughs> you know, like every yeah. time. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't need to see Captain Marvel twice to like it because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that yeah. much investment going into it. But, uh, and I, I can't think of a comic book movie where I would, especially a superhero comic book movie where I would have that relationship. That is a nice thing about, about my relationship to comic book movies in general, I think, is that I can yeah. kind of, Watchmen was close. Um, but I followed Watchmen coming out, uh, before it ever came out, um, enough that I, I knew what they had changed before I ever saw the movie. So yeah. I thought the movie was a lot better than a lot of other, like diehards for the book thought it was. And then the director's cut was even better than that. I still think it's maybe the best movie that, uh, the best superhero movie anyway, that Zack Snyder's ever made. Um, yeah. So like, you know, I'm like, that's where I come from on that question of adaptations, but let's, let's get into stuff though, like in the movie that we liked and didn't like. Um, so I want to start with something about that you mentioned about, uh, Nick Fury's eye. Yes. So you, d- the second time, did you like it better? What they did with the eye reveal? Or did you, do you still think that that was, that's bullshit? Fuck that. I still <laughs> think it's bullshit. Like, uh, I just, I feel like they had enough of the cat. They didn't need another cat gag. Like. I kind of, I, I feel that that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good reason. But maybe you just hate cats though. No, I like cats. Cats like, are rarely I'm, as well used in a movie as, as the cat is in this one. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good cat. I just feel like Aww. it was like a disservice to the character of Nick Fury to have him lose his eye like that. I think I, that's, I, mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Because like, okay, here's my thing about the eye. Here's why I think it's brilliant. And here's why I think it's a very good example of the kind of stuff that MCU does okay. all the time. So yeah, here you go. Let's see if I can convince you. Okay, so okay. there's no explanation for Fury's eye that was ever going to be satisfying for anyone. It's, it's never been revealed. It's been played up as a mystery. Um, like the whole thing in, 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 uh, in winter soldier where he's like the last person I trusted did this to my eye. Um, you know, setting up some kind of betrayal we would learn about eventually Nick Fury's backstory. Again, it's like setting up an expectation that they're, they're they're not necessarily going to pay off, but if they do, 
I think that the, there's no there's no explanation for his eye that would have been satisfying to, to people. So going yeah. for a silly thing, it first it subverts the expectations that it's going to be something cool and badass. Yeah. And it also takes the pressure off. You know what yeah. I mean? It makes it it makes it something funny and interesting because Nick Fury, of course, he's not going to tell people that a, that an alien cat ripped his eye out. And his whole yeah. thing is about is about it, it still plays back into his character, I think, because his whole thing is about is about mystery and and perception and trying to like throw people off. So like, of course, the that people leaving people guessing what kind of badass he is 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 yeah. a really useful tool for him. And I really like that we see him as more of like a cop, like kind of a regular dude in this movie. Yeah, because because he hasn't learned yet to to like to to wrap himself around that cloak of like spycraft and mystery. Uh, yeah. I like the idea that him and Coulson, which is one of the reasons why I liked Coulson coming back in this movie, I like that him and Coulson were once very much alike. Because yeah. it, watching Avengers, uh, or sorry, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I never really understood why Coulson and Nick Fury would be friends. like they, yeah. or, or have anything besides professional courtesy. Because they had nothing fucking in common. They're completely different types of, of character. Completely different types of whatever. It doesn't seem like Coulson would be the kind of guy to approve of, of Nick Fury's tactics. But it helps to know they once came from like the same place. I really like yeah. it. So I dig, I dig the eye Which kind of makes you wonder like what happened in the meantime to Nick Fury. To I know, yeah. This kind of cold, like... Yeah, but here's the, I don't character. think he ever. I don't think he is though. Like that's one of the things I like about Nick Fury in all the movies. He's actually kind of uh, con- he's a concerned person all the time. He's like a dad. He's always <laughs> like like if you go back, if you, you said you were maybe try to rewatch them all, go back yeah. and watch the ones with Nick Fury and, and tell me he isn't like a concerned uncle or dad all the time <laughs> to everybody. Like tell me he's like a cold like James Bond type. I don't think he is. I think he pretends like he is, but he's actually kind of got a soft spot for the people that he cares about. And like, yeah. uh, and I think you can see that in Captain Marvel. It's like the origin yeah. story of like how, cause I, I feel like that's why people are loyal to him, even though they're critical of his methods, like, like Captain America in particular is critical of Nick Fury. Um, but there's still, there's still something there. And it's cause Nick yeah. Fury treats him with empathy and respect and, uh, and understanding, not, not yeah. just trying to turn him into a weapon, which he, which he easily could have done, which is something like yeah. what Thunderbolt Ross the guy played by William Hurt. You only see him a yeah. little bit in Infinity War, but he's the guy from like Incredible Hulk and stuff and the Sokovia yeah. Records guy. Anyway, he he's more like that. He's more like what Nick Fury could have been like, you know? Yeah. And he's more that trope that, that sometimes it feels like Nick Fury. You know, I don't know. Captain Marvel to me made Nick Fury an infinitely more interesting character than he ever was before. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do, I do agree there. Like I did enjoy his character in in this to kind of see the softer side Not of the, him. the revelation that he's a cat guy like walking up and being like oh cute little baby i do you're so cute. like that's that's <laughs> yeah. me talking to a cat so yeah. like i well that's me talking to any animal really but but not humans not humans no <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not good with humans i'm good with animals but uh yeah I, I think i did enjoy nick fury in this i think that's the one thing well there's so much i liked about the film but you know that i really enjoyed that i think it was just the eye that i kind of felt was a little bit of a disservice to him because he has done so much like badass stuff yeah like in the comic books and and i believe in the comic books i mean don't quote me on this because i've not read it but i believe that he loses the eye in the comic books in a fight with nazis he gets caught in an explosion or something the original version of nick fury was a white dude who fought nazis and the yeah. old captain and, and the old the, 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 all the old like I, oh, man i want to say like um david hasselhoff either played him or dressed up as him for a promo <laughs> or something at one point um but i what i think was really cool about casting robert redford 
as uh the guy i can't remember his name um in uh so in in winter soldier as the bad guy right nick fury's boss who turns out to be a bad guy uh is that he looks pretty much like the old nick fury did he has the gray temples he has a square face very all-american looking and then in the ultimates universe when they when they basically did they sort of revamped marvel comics um in the 90s with the ultimates uh version i think it was the 90s and that's where we get most of the dna for the movie versions of the characters. And they drew yeah. Nick Fury basically as Samuel L. Jackson back then. <laughs> right? So, I mean, Samuel yeah. Jackson is a, is a credit to our species. And yeah. uh, he, play, he, him w- willing to play a character that looked like him from a comic is why I love the guy so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> a lot of actors would turn their noses up at that, but he's just, like, all for it, right? He's happy to do yeah. it for as long as he can. Um, so, like, yeah, he, I think his thing was, was supposed to be Vietnam in the Ultimates universe. But again... Yeah. That that the t- timing doesn't really work out. Like Samuel Jackson was like 15 when Vietnam was happening, so I don't know what his war would have been. That's the other thing. Like they like what are they, they're gonna have to give him a big like kind of Punisher style backstory where he fought in the Gulf War and got his eye ripped out by the Taliban or something. You know what I mean? Like like what are they gonna do? So they they kind of went. Yeah. You know, they, they I think people would expect them to go right, so they went left, which is why it's a bait and switch. And and one of the ones they do so well, like like I think with uh, the other really good example is. Um, is the uh, Mandarin from Iron Man 3. People have yeah. mixed feelings with that movie, but one of the things that I really loved about it was they, they before it came out, everybody knew the Mandarin was going to be the bad guy, and the Mandarin was a racial caricature uh, in the comics. That's how it started. It was like Yellow Peril, racial caricature, Fu Manchu, Beard, the whole nine yards. Nowadays, yeah. you can't do that because we're not as racist openly <laughs> most of the time as the people were <laughs> yeah. then. Um, you can't get away with shit like that, and nor should you. So they they had a quite a Gordian knot to untie. They're like, what yeah. the fuck are we gonna do to make this character work? So they came up with this really amazing idea that oh he's he's this dude that he's like a British colonial type who wraps himself with Oriental mysticism and like Orientalism the way that like you know villains used to in the old comics. You'd get like some like Alan Quartermain v- bad guy. <laughs> who like yeah. who would be like that he'd be a british guy he'd be a lord or something but he'd be like wrapped up in like chinese robes and he'd have incense burning and he'd like shoot magic out of his fingers or something right yeah. um they they're kind of they kind of do that and they make fun of that whole idea by by subverting that trope which is the most brilliant way of getting out of that 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 situation in the first place and still yeah. keeping the character in some way and they had the same problem with with doctor strange with the ancient one um yes cuz they have this whole thing where well if the cast an asian actor uh, we're doing the Kung Fu Asian stereotype. Yeah. Um, but if we cast a woman and redo her backstory a little bit and make her super androgynous and long lived, we can kind of do this a different way that might be interesting in a, in a different way. And I mean, there's a certain amount of backlash they got for that because yeah. there was a complaint that that's erasing uh, an Asian yeah. role. And that's that's the catch 22 of it. Same with um, with uh, when Iron Fist came out. See, I got examples for days. Like, I, 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 I yeah. memorized this, this shit. But Iron Fist came out and everybody wanted Danny Rand to be Asian, which would have yeah. been cool in a way. This idea of an Asian-American um, child of immigrants type character who has to reconcile his like ba- past, basically, like his home and, and where he comes from and the cu- cultural traditions with yeah. th- with being a, like a, an immigrant or newcomer um, officially, right? Like, Or not officially, but unofficially because he's a descendant of immigrants, right? They could have yeah. done something interesting with that. Um, but instead they, they thought, well, like 
no, because then we're playing into the, the Kung Fu Bruce Lee stereotype again. So they, they make these choices and they often make the conservative choice um, yeah. instead of trying to do the work of like revamping a backstory. And I feel like it's because like Marvel's on a monolith. There's probably a lot of disagreement and a lot of arguing about what to do about yeah. what, what, what will work. So with the ancient one, they, they figured, well, fuck it. You know, there's nothing about this character that, that, that says that they have to be this or that. So let's just change it. Um, yeah. and then they do, they didn't, but they don't do that with Danny Rand with Iron Fist. But it, yeah. it, you know, when you see that though, and then the next movie, like one of the, one of the next phase, one of the phase five movies is going to be Shang-Chi. You know, now you kind of get why they might've done, done it that way. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, bringing it back to Captain Marvel, I think in terms of representation, this film was actually very good for people of Mm colour in that there were a lot of people of colour in the film in various different roles. So I think that's something that they did do really well. They did do really well with the cast. Yeah, the main characters, you know, a white woman and well, then there's another white woman and then there's another white man in the main roles kind of thing but you know the the supporting cast there's a lot of diversity there which i thought was was really um was really good i um i didn't expect um is it dimon hounsu uh jimon hounsu that's it i can never pronounce his name I th- i'm not even sure if i'm doing it right <laughs> so i enjoyed him like he, yeah. he only had a couple of lines but the lines he had were like w- were delivered like really well like well it's cool to see him again and yeah. uh it, you know because like one of the cool things with this movie is ronan you see how maybe like he started he, he was always kind of a hardliner he's a hardliner yeah. kree and you know at this point though he hasn't broken off from the kree empire and become a terrorist he is yeah. still working for the empire and then and then Korath, who is the name of the character that Shimon Hunsu plays he's he he like sort of likes what ronan's about like when ronan pushes back against uh whoever i can't remember what the what the debate is but when he pushes back oh yeah he wants to kill all the all the he wants to destroy earth because the scrolls are already infected or whatever and then they're like no, yeah. no don't do that um i think Korath is sympathetic to him and that sets yeah. up the fact that they're allies in guardians of the galaxy right like yeah. so you get to kind of see that and i agree with you it was really fun that kind of continuity that kind of uh, Easter egging is very much how the comics did things. So it's yeah. cool that they could get these actors to come back for a couple of days and shoot something s- small and then throw it in the movie again. Yeah, I enjoyed him as an Easter egg coming back into it. So I think that's something that they did do particularly well in Captain Marvel. One of the things I think, like like you you pointed out, you know, you gave you gave it the caveat of the main character's white. Some of the main supporting characters are white. But if you can't, so if you're going to cast your movie with white people anyway, um, you can do your representation. You can do your, um, you can do your kind of like allyship, like reaching out kind of thing, your inclusivity in other ways too, if your characters are going to be white one way or the other. So one of the yeah. ways I do this is like, I think the political meat of this movie is not, uh, feminism, although yeah. it's in there, you know, the whole movie is kind of about gaslighting, which is a huge issue in feminism and, uh, in for people in general, really, but it, yeah. you know, it's, it's feminism that brought it to our attention, um, as a culture. So this movie is about that in a big, big way, but it's also about refugees and it's about, yes. uh, it's anti-war. It's the most convincingly anti-war Marvel movie. I think, yes. uh, Winter Soldier did a pretty good job of being anti-war, but it wasn't as convincing as this movie is about it because the Skrulls being good guys yes. or essentially refugees or, or, or a minoritized group that's being marginalized and oppressed by the Kree is awesome. And it was an awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome bait and switch because the trailers made it look like the Skrulls were the bad guys. They had yeah. Ben Mendelsohn play the main Skrull, which Ben Mendelsohn always plays bad guys in movies like this. So yeah. all these subversions that they do are excellent as a way to show this story about marginalized people, even though they're aliens and played sometimes by white people. Um, it's still a story about us, about our world and about people who are usually not white 
getting treated the same way that the scrolls do. So kids yeah. watching this might look at the refugee boats and be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be filling them with 50 caliber assault rounds in the Mediterranean. Like maybe yeah. we shouldn't be gunning these boats down or, or whatever it is that people are doing. Maybe we shouldn't be throwing people at the border in the States in fucking cages, you know? Yeah. Um, so like that's, that's the hope. And that's, that's where the political meat of this movie is, I think. And yeah, and it, it boils it down to its very simplest form as well. Yeah. These people just want a home. That's yep. all they want. They just want somewhere to live. And I think that, yeah, that's something they did do really well. I think they almost did it better than the comic books, to be honest, because yeah. the, in the comic books, they're still very much, you know, bad guys. Yeah, the scrolls are, so, are one of the... I love that in the MCU, the scrolls aren't going to be bad guys. Originally, they yeah. didn't have the rights to use them. They couldn't use the yeah. scrolls. That's why the bad guys in Avengers are the Chitari, not the scrolls. Because yeah. I think in the comics, Thanos' army is, is Skrulls or something, or I don't know. It's all convoluted, but yeah. I remember there, there being like something like, oh, Ch the Chitauri are just like an off-brand version, I think, of the Skrulls. Or maybe it was supposed to be the Kree or something, and they couldn't use them. I don't know. But it's cool <laughs> that when you're going to see these um, these Skrulls finally, that they're, oh, they're, they're a bunch of like kind of lighthearted Cockney uh, refugees, you know? Like Ben Mendelsohn's Cockney accent and his whole like, aw shucks scuzzy like kind of yeah. dude was so good like that shot of him with the sunglasses drinking his his soda was like you know that's i'm here for that um yeah. so yeah so I, I thought that all that was really good yeah i think it humanized captain marvel really well oh in, yeah in the in the you know it kind of showed that even though she has been living with the the kree for six years and she's been going through this like you know quotation mark uh brainwashing right. uh, to to hate the scroll that she was still able to to listen to their story and be and be understanding of that and and, and humanize it and and realize that what she's been doing with the Kree is is not good yeah so, and that's that's the anti-war piece because like i think so i think the movie's arguing like this is also where it ties back into gaslighting um so the, it's a whole civilization the Kree empire they're called the Kree empire they're an empire right empires are are at least in lefty circles, empire is a bad thing. So if you're yeah. called an empire or you do empire things, generally speaking, that's bad. Um, so like with, you know, with, with this Cree empire thing, they're gaslighting their whole culture into believing that their, their fights, their wars, their subjugation of colonies, their subjugation of alien species that they don't like, whatever is just and valid. So they convince yeah. their whole society that that's the way things are. That's America. America does that. America commits more violence and more, um, soft imperialism and hard imperialism around the world than any other country. And yeah. American people don't really get that. And so no. her as a soldier being gaslit by her culture to believe in what she's doing as a soldier says something anti-war about the way that uh, America in particular, but many other countries as well, gaslight their armed forces, make yeah. them believe that their, their enemies are, in, are inhuman and, uh, or less than. And then it, of course there's the specific uh, abuser narrative of gaslighting in there too with uh what's his name uh, jude law's character's name is uh, uh yon rog yon rog so he's he's the the face of that and the way yeah. he treats her takes on more of that like abusive boyfriend isolating you and trying to convince you that their way of seeing the world and their way of like of looking at emotions for instance uh is the right way and, and anything else makes you weak and whatever so he's yeah. doing it too and he's like he's got that personal level of it where the broader the broader stuff is about anti-war and about about the the culture of the Kree empire 
And mental, uh, like, um, mental weakness, uh, gaslighting is really Captain Marvel's only weakness in the comic books. She's not, re- right. she's not physically weak, but you can get to her mentally. You can, yeah. you know, convince her that you know doing something a different way is the best way to do it, and that's tying back into that that comic book that we were talking about earlier, where they have that really controversial storyline where she right. gets raped. She was gaslit into into that pregnancy. Yeah, uh, she was convinced. So mental weakness is really her only weakness. Which is, yeah. which is a, a good way that they've they've kind of shown that in the film. And she can't, like, that's the thing that's interesting with the Skrulls being the bad guys, too. And, and like, at first, like, I remember there was a criticism before I saw the movie. I heard somebody say, well, there's not enough action in it. And the action that is in it is kind of that big CG, VFX, cartoonish, shooting lasers around stuff. And I was sort of like, oh, you know, that's going to be disappointing. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, eh. But then something happened towards the end. Uh, and I realized, like, that's why they made the Skrulls the bad guys. Because there's nobody that she can't outfight. So when you have yeah. a hero who is all powerful, essentially, or at least very powerful, and 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 Captain Marvel's super powerful, like especially when she has her awakening and realizes that she's been closing off her own powers, she can do she can yeah. fight spaceships. She can single handedly do what the Ravagers did in uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two or whatever. You know, like she can, yeah. she, can she can wreck some shit. So yeah. what's a compelling bad guy for her? Other than another yeah. all-powerful creature that she can trade lasers with. While yeah. maybe creatures that infiltrate. And so the idea that the scrolls were the, were the bad guys was clever in one sense because it talks it's talking about asymmetrical warfare and the idea of like hiding people hiding in plain sight and, and doing terrorist activities because they can't really fight toe-to-toe with a modern army, right? They can't yeah. fight the Kree or their commandos or the Star Force, whatever they're called. They can't really do that. So instead they infiltrate and they use information, and they use asymmetrical warfare techniques, guerrilla warfare techniques. So that was all really clever. When I thought that's where the movie was going, I was like, okay, I get this. She's super powerful, so this is her challenge. Uh, She doesn't know who the bad guys are. And then when the bad guys are actually the good guys, it becomes even more interesting, because then she has to fight her own team. And her team, um, she beats the shit out of them, but they know (laughs) her, and they know her limitations. And so they, they put up a little bit more of a challenge than anyone else probably could have, at least temporarily. So yeah. I ended up thinking it was pretty clever. I do think that it shows some of what you're talking about with some of the filmmaking issues because the CG stuff and the action probably was handled by Marvel's action unit. So they yeah. famously have a, have like a unit that shoots the action in a lot of their movies. So they can hire indie filmmakers. Um, there was this, there's this film, I can't remember her name, but she, she did an interview about the meetings that she took with Marvel about making one of their movies. I think it was the Black Widow movie. And they said, yeah. don't worry about the action. We got people to take care of that because they're trying to reassure her that she wasn't going to have to do a bunch of really risky stunt stuff. She wasn't going to have to go out of her wheelhouse. But she took that yeah. as an as as an insult, kind of, because she was like, "Well, if I'm going to do this movie, I want to do that stuff myself. What are you talking about?" Um, yeah. But I think Marvel can work with people who like are indie filmmakers, like the people who made Half Nelson, uh, who made this movie, um, because and the writer, because they're they're kind of like, or no, the person who made the writer is making uh, anyway. They're, they're, they can, they can set that up themselves. And so that's yeah. part of the action in their movies tends to look samey or can, I think in some of the movies, the actual filmmakers have enough experience or clout or they, maybe they pitch what they want the action scenes to look like to Marvel. And then they're like, okay, yeah, do that. So I think Taika Waititi, for instance, he probably did a lot of his own work on, on, uh, Thor Ragnarok or yeah. he was really involved with it because it has a specific look and feel that other Marvel shit doesn't really. And I think the same yeah. thing about the Russos. Like the Russos directed the first really good hand-to-hand fights in the whole Marvel universe in Winter Soldier. 
And they kept yeah. doing that. There's a really great fight between Bucky and Cap in Winter Soldier. There's another really good uh, fist fight in, in Civil War between, um, I'm pretty sure it's uh, between Black Panther and Captain America. And then, you know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. really good at that stuff. And so I think they probably do their own action, but they didn't make this movie. So no. some of the action's a little, you know, but... Yeah, I did enjoy in the fight scenes um, that you could kind of tell that, um, you know, that uh, Captain Marvel was coming into her own, that she was kind of understanding the power that she has, the more that she gets. So in particular, the scene where she is fighting her crew on uh, Marvel's uh, spacecraft up out, uh, above the Earth, that you can tell that she's kind of being like, yeah, OK, these <laughs> yeah. hands do things. You can catch these hands, bitch. Like, I'm coming for you. And they played that song, they, like which is a little on the nose. They played I'm Just a Girl by... Yeah. I know you didn't like that the first time because I remember us, us talking about it, but yeah. did you did it did it land better for you the second time? No, it didn't. I no. just yeah, like you said, it's a bit I too knew it was news. coming. I knew yeah. it was coming, so it was it was easier for me to take it. I don't, I don't think that they could have done. I don't know. I don't know what they could have done differently there. I, I respect the choice. I don't think it it like it it landed a hundred percent either. But I can I can I can see what they were trying to do with that, and I yeah. I can enjoy the the the, the tongue in cheek winking like. She's just a girl, guys. Ha, yeah. ha, ha, you know what I mean? Like, and, and like, this is, this is that attitude. They're just sort of saying like, they're being confrontational with that attitude that like, cause there was, there was some guy too posting on, on Twitter, I think, uh, about how, you know, this movie's going to teach women that they can fight men and that's, that's dangerous and toxic. And I, and I don't, I don't have any patience for that point of view. I know yeah. women who can like bench press me. And like, yeah. I weigh 230 pounds. Like, you know, I'm not I'm a little, like, I'm a little guy, but I'm not a little guy. So like, you know, yeah. I, I, uh, I just, I've always, I've always known strong women my whole life, you know, and yeah. I've known, I've known men who are physically weak, but no lesser for it. So these ideas we yeah. have about what makes a man, a man, a woman, a woman, they're, they're bad. They're bad ideas. It's not, it's not a movie saying things can be different. That's wrong. It's the yeah. idea itself that we, the status quo idea we have, this normalization that we're, that we're always so scared when somebody tries yeah. to like change it and play with it so th i think that's what they were trying to yeah. do yeah if you give women power it doesn't stop them having common sense i think right that's, that's the issue point. is like people think that you know if you give people all this representation or give them you know power or whatever that they're gonna start fighting you or they're gonna start issues or something like that no they're just they're just gonna feel a bit more valid in their life it's not gonna change anything for you it changes how they feel about themselves yeah that's a great point um that's a great point and like, I kind of feel like this movie sort of, sort of talks, but like speaks to that, you know, um, which is awesome. Cause like, I mean, I mean, like one of the things that I liked about this movie and th this is what, one of the things I think is good about getting indie filmmakers to make it is that the movie and the script are a lot about relationships. This is a really talky movie. There's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of people chilling and talking. Uh, it's yeah. not a chase movie, really. It's not that action packed compared to something like a Captain America movie. Like I, I think Black Widow will be... Uh, when it comes out, it'll be a lot more like the kind of movie maybe people would expect this to be. Um, yeah. But this movie felt like a 90s movie, not just because it takes place in the 90s. To me, it felt shaggy and uh, laid back and lighthearted in a way yeah. that made it feel like a movie that was made in the 90s, but that movie would have had like more special effects maybe. And like we always forget that the 90s was a pretty optimistic, playful decade in terms of pop culture and media. Um, yeah. And this movie feels like that. It feels play like that, just a girl song. It feels playful. It feels not self-serious in a way that I really didn't expect. I kind of thought Captain Marvel was going to be a lot more, I don't want to say pretentious, but a lot more like grim and self-serious, especially because of Infinity War. But it wasn't. Yeah. It was super like fun and, yeah. uh, and, and shaggy in, in the way where like characters just hang out and talk and it really focuses on their relationship with each other. I think that's probably what it threw me off was the, oh, yeah? the, the, the feel of the film wasn't 
what I was expecting. It was kind of a bit, like you say, it's more fun. Than yeah, were you serious. expecting like an epic? Like I was expecting it to be like a big space epic, like Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe. Yeah, I, thought, like that. I think that's what I was expecting. I was yeah. expecting it to be like this big epic, like lots of fight scenes, lots of action, blah blah blah. But it was kind of more of a, you know, not every not every conflict needs to be resolved with violence, which I think is probably one of the the strongest messages of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Like, and I and I think that they do that so well, and it's so important, especially going into like you know, Captain Marvel becoming a part of the like general cinematic Marvel cinematic universe. Like she's going to be involved with all these other characters who've mostly solved their problems by fighting and have been yeah. up to this point. So maybe she'll bring a different energy. I'm not saying she's going to sit down with Thanos and, and, and talk it out. Um, no. She's going to kick the crap out of him, but like, that's ultimately not going to be what solves it, you know? Um, yeah. And maybe it's something that, 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 that uh, Carol Danvers can bring to the table. You know, or maybe yeah. she's maybe she just ends up being a Captain America fill-in, and we're all very disappointed with how other writers mm-hmm. handle the character after this movie. Who knows? Um, I hope not. Um, yeah. I really hope not, because like this idea of, of of repression, emotional repression, being a villain, like like for her, you know, like she represses her emotions, and she's at her most powerful when she lets herself feel and be vulnerable, yeah. and like you know all that stuff. I think they they got to find ways to carry that forward. You know. Yeah. Uh, even if it's no, not, sure. yeah, even if it's not in, in a way where like, you know, she talks, talks her problems out with everybody. I mean, it's, it'd be an interesting thing. Cause like one of the, one of the like, like the cool things that, uh, they started doing with Superman occasionally was because he has the same kind of problem as Captain uh, Marvel does where he's so powerful that there's not a lot of people that can challenge him physically. So people who are obsessed with like power levels, like, and who's the, who's the strongest character who thinks, who thinks strength equals power really. Uh, physical yeah. strength equals power projection of force equals power which is really like that 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 idea is where we can lay a lot of our social problems but anyway yeah there were writers who started to do things where superman would like fight a guy for a while but it wasn't going to go anywhere because he doesn't kill people and dude is like you know he's too powerful to really like like stop so his main yeah. bad guy finds ways to work around his power all the time using like kryptonite or whatever but then he'd have these things where with bad he'd talk it out with the bad guy you know, you try to like, you know, Flash is famous for that too. Um, all his bad guys, he's kind of friendly with them. You yeah. know, they stop taking their meds and they go and they re- wreak havoc. And then he's like, dude, like, do I have to, will you come on your own or am I going to have to, you know? <laughs> and I, I always like that, that, that version of those stories because it says something about what a superhero can be. A superhero can be a civil servant or can be a rescue worker. They don't have to be a, uh, and they're just the, the scale of the situations they deal with is just different because in a world with superpowers and whatever. Um, but they, they're still kind of like the heroes we have now, the people who talk yeah. down suicidal people or uh, people who are violent, you know, the people who like risk themselves um, to have, to like display empathy and use empathy as a yeah. way to stop crisis. Right. Like I, I like that version of things. It doesn't always have to be like that. Sometimes I just want to see a couple heroes throw fists or a couple a villain and a hero throw fists. Sometimes violence is really cathartic. So I'm not anti, yeah. I'm not a pacifist, you know, I believe, in, <laughs> I believe in punching Nazis, for example, you know, and like, yeah. um, these kinds of things that happen and, and like, you know, they just don't always have to be the same story over and over again. And I like, I, I like that too. I went on and on again, but I like that too about Captain Marvel, um, quite a bit. So yeah. should we get into some, you, I mean, you talked about the filmmaking being flat. Are there any other criticisms that you want to make of like, you were saying something about the script and stuff. Can we get more specific? I just kind of felt that it was a little bit wooden in places. There was just kind of a bit too much. I don't even know the word I'm trying to think of here. 
It's okay. It's gone. Use, use, it's the, gone. use the word that is like the word, and we'll, and then in two minutes, we'll be like, wait, no, I, I meant this word. I, I think it was just, I don't know. My dog's distracting me. He That's came okay. Into the room. <laughs> the, the dogs are always a, uh, a valid moment to, to kind of lose our train of thought, I guess. I don't have a dog, yeah, he... but if I did. <laughs> um, okay, well, let me let me give a couple criticisms uh, that I have for it, and then maybe they'll jog your memory. So yeah. my, one, two of my, my two big ones, or I guess three, the first one is a little bit of a nitpick, but I thought the Star Force was under, underdeveloped. So that yes. we were talking about how fun that cast of characters is. They all look really cool, and when they get lines, they're kind of cool lines. But I wanted more of them. They, they kind of, yeah. you know, I, wanna, I wanted to see Gemma Chan more because I love her from the TV show Humans and she plays uh, Minerva. And I wanted to see, I wanted more of those characters and just like a little bit more of the prologue because the prologue is really cool uh, where, where you see them like invade that planet whenever, um, but it fucks up the rhythm of the rest of the movie. So yes. like the prologue is really action packed. It's really Guardians of the Galaxy-ish. Um, and, it, you know, but it, the rest of the movie is slower paced and more yeah. of a hangout movie. It's like a buddy cop movie from the 90s, like I was saying before. And it, it's a different kind of movie. So the prologue doesn't yeah. gel super well with the rest of the movie, I don't think. I, I almost, I liked it, but I, I wanted the movie to either try to balance the two priorities a bit better of being a cool whiz-bang space adventure movie versus being something a little bit more grounded. I wanted them to kind of do that better. Although I've seen lots of 90s movies that are like alien invasion movies, like uh, Critters, that's an 80s movie, but like where you do get a little bit of like, oh, this is what our budget would allow us to do with uh, an alien planet that you can see for like five minutes and then we'll have the characters go to Earth where it's easier, you know, it's cheaper to yeah. shoot on Earth, you know. So I, I kind of thought they were doing that thing and I didn't think it totally worked. Um, yeah, I think that was the criticism I was trying to think of is that, oh, was is it? The, is that it starts off really well, it kind of builds up, uh, it get, like starts off really strong and there's this whole like, like whole action scenes and everything like that and then it kind of falls flat in the middle and then it comes back up again there's like no kind of there's not really a consistency over the script if that makes sense yeah like so so consistency when we're talking about like pace right because i think the tone the tone's consistent the plot is pretty consistent and the 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 themes are but i think pacing is the big problem right Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that's the criticism I would have made of Black Panther. That's the only, like, CG being spotty sometimes is a nitpick, but Black Panther's pacing was kind of fucked up, too, I thought. Um, yeah. Some of these movies are just, they should either be a little bit longer or a little bit shorter. It's sort of like the feeling I walk away from a lot of the time. Um, but we've, we've danced around a little bit. You've given your piece about the cinematography, and I'll say this, and I'm going to talk about the trailer a little bit, too. Uh, the cinematography is flat and has that house style, but did you notice that there are some really nice shots in this movie? Like, like glamour, sh- not glamour shots, but like bold kind of beauty shots. Like there's this, this shot of, let me give an example because I'm, I'm, I don't know how to describe this, where Carol is standing in the hangar, I think in one of her flashbacks or, her, or where they're fucking with her memory, and she's standing in the hangar oh, yeah. and there's this wide shot of this like light coming through the like semi open doors of the hangar and she's like bathed in golden light and she's standing in the center frame like shots like that you don't see shit like that in these movies very often so this no. movie had a few like almost Terrence Malick like they weren't moving shots like he does but they were like really nice tableaus like beautifully uh composed like photographic level shots and th- I-, I noticed yeah. that in this movie that and because uh, most Marvel movies do not have that they have nice sequences they ha- they'll sometimes have occasionally a cool a cool shot that's cool for different reasons, but they don't necessarily have a shot where you could get a poster of it and hang it on your wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And this movie had a <laughs> few. Um, 
And like one of the things that I liked about the trailer, like, because I don't get this idea of the trailer was terrible at all. I thought the trailer was awesome in the same way that the Man of Steel trailer was kind of cool. The Man of Steel trailer was better than the movie, but uh, the trailer did the whole thing where you see her as a kid all through these like moments of her life and she falls and then she gets back up and they do this whole thing where they, 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 they kind of hook the trailer around that, that motif of like falling and getting back up and uh, determination and like willpower and stuff and like not being defeated by like the forces that conspire to defeat you. And there's a little bit of girl power in that, but like, I love, I love that in the trailer because most Marvel trailers, most movie trailers in general don't have, uh, a, 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 not a plot, but like a story they're trying to get across. Really, they're just showing you random scenes in the movie and like hoping you'll go see it. Uh, most trailers yeah. are really poor, poorly made. I think there's an art to it, and I think the trailers for Captain Marvel did a little bit of that storytelling, where they're like sort of saying without saying what the movie is about, just by editing yeah. the trailer a certain way. That's the word I want. I really like the way the trailers were edited. Yeah. I think my problem with the trailers was that I didn't think it showcased Brie Larson as Captain Marvel very well. She kind of was, she was very flat in the trailers, so it didn't really inspire me to want to go see it. Right. You weren't like, like, you didn't have a moment in the trailers where you were like, oh, that's, that's the Carol, that's, that, that is Carol Danvers in the movie. Yeah. I think you're right. I think, I think she's stoic and quiet in the trailers. Like you don't get a lot of lines of dialogue. They're more just showing her and showing her in the suit and she's posing kind of. I get that. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think there just could have been more to the trailers. I think that that was my issue because well, yeah. she she did such a good job in the films in that right. in that in that I was excited that there was a Captain Marvel film seeing the trailers, which is why I was excited. But at the same time, I was wasn't excited to see uh, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel because yeah. I didn't think she was going to do a good job. You weren't job. sold on her, right? That's right. I remember yeah. I, was, I was talking about that. Yeah, I, I I was just because, I think we talked about this in the context of Wonder Woman as well, where you were kind of like, well, because Gal Gadot didn't work for you, but she really worked for me. Um, yeah. And there's, an, there's a kind of interesting discussion we should probably not have about like this time, just because we're running a bit long here anyway. And I hate saying yeah. that. I don't want to be constricted about how much time <laughs> we take for an episode, but like... Um, uh, that's a big co- a conversation and I want to have a conversation with you at some point because you're a comic book person too, uh, probably to around the same extent that I am just with different, uh, different levers. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, it'd be interesting to talk about how you adapt the style of comic book characters and their physiques into a movie and like what the pushback is on that, how that kind of works because like we're used to seeing dudes like Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth and all the Chris's get real jacked huge for like a few months so they can play these, these big brawny characters and kind of look like the characters in the comics, but women can't, can't really do that as easily. Uh, there's a sort of, sort of more gen- like the, just the frame. There's a lot fewer actresses in Hollywood for one reason or another who are over five and a half feet tall than there are like actresses who are shorter than that. And there's, yeah. you know, you could have like, that's just like weird. That's just, that's just more gender norm stuff, right? Like, like yeah. basically reinforcing the idea that women should be petite or dainty uh, so that you only really give opportunities to actresses. You only cast actresses who fit in a certain narrow framework of what like a, a character, a female character in a movie should look like. Um, yeah. So you don't, you don't, there's not a lot of like, it's, 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 it's interesting that like, for instance, uh, uh, Gwendolyn Christie gets the role she does uh, and she's kind of like the token or signature or flagship, big, tall, strong looking woman. Right. Yeah. Um, like there can only be one. And yeah. that's sort of the situation that we're in. So there's a conversation ab- around like how you can take somebody who is really petite, like Brie Larson, and no matter how jack she gets, she's still going to look kind of small compared to like a Chris. 
And one yeah. of the things I liked about the Endgame trailer is when Chris Hemsworth is standing in front of her and then he calls Stormbreaker and she's just standing there and she's like tiny compared to him and she's got her arms across her chest and she's like looking at him and then Stormbreaker yeah. hits her, his hand and he's watching for her reaction and she kind of does that Brie Larson subtle facial thing where she her lips move just a little bit, her eyes narrow just a tiny bit and he's like, yeah. I like her. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like that, that was exactly perfect for like what I think you can do if you can't do the like if you can't cast Gwendolyn Christie to play Captain Marvel, <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I mean? Or somebody who's huge like that. Although Carol Danvers isn't necessarily huge. Like she's, no. she's not she's like not. Um, power girl in the DC universe where she's like yeah. just massive in every way, you know? Um, yeah. I think like physique wise, Brie Larson was, is, was pretty much perfect for, for Captain Marvel. Like people were making more picking a, a suit because it was a little bit baggy in places. And a lot of people were like, Oh, she doesn't have an ass and all this, but like, like doesn't that gross you out when people, ass? yeah, doesn't yeah. that gross you out when people do that? Like they, like they cut, they, they basically look at a woman and then cut her into her, her component pieces and then like yeah. comment. Like I, there's just like this freedom that people have to comment on body parts that I think is yeah. so fucking weird. I mean, I do it sometimes too, but when I do it, I always feel skeevy about it. Yeah. You know, and, and afterward I'll be like, oh shit, I was just, I, 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 I basically just unthinkingly played into that. And it's not like I'm always like, I just don't think that there's some essential good about, like it's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking and it's, it's, it's programmed to a certain extent and it's not essential. So there's no reason to go like, well, that's just how men think. That's bullshit. Yeah. You know, it isn't. It's learned behavior. So you can you can push back against your own thinking habits when it comes to like objectification. So and yeah. And more people should. And more people should. And, and it, because I mean, it, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just imagine like, okay, I imagine like going to see Captain Marvel with like Jamila Jamil and like, yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Like, like just like her perspective <laughs> on this stuff and like, you know, and, and, and just what she would say if, if I was like, wow, you know, Brie Larson doesn't have an ass in this outfit, you know, like she <laughs> fucking, I, I would never make it out of that theater and I wouldn't deserve to. Yeah. You know, so like, exactly. Yeah. I just I mean, like, what does her ass have to do with anything that yeah. she's doing? And like, fill, so there's this question of like filling out the suit, right? I think that's something yeah. uh, that came up with the other person we were talking to about, about superhero movies. There's this idea that there's a physical, and, and I think like, I think it was Sterling and he was saying, um, there's, it's not about necessarily physique. Cause I was, I went on the physique thing. I was like, is that about physique? Like what's that about? And I guess we're having this conversation anyway, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he talked about how it, no, it's about physical presence. It's almost like about like being able to like project a physical presence. Um, like you're bigger than you are, whether it's like, yeah. and it's not about being muscular. It's about just this like being able to command a room or command space. And I think that's yeah. interesting. And I think that's true that some people that are small of stature have that ability. Um, so, I mean, that, that might be what, more what people mean when they talk about yeah. this or that actor. It doesn't really quite make it, like, it isn't quite believable as this or that role. Um, th yeah. And that, that's a whole conversation, right? That we're yeah. kind of sort of having, but I don't, I don't want to get too, too far into it because I think yeah. it'll be good. I think it'll be good for the next, the next movie that comes out where, where people go on the internet and talk about, uh, oh, uh, they're, they're not, they're, you know, like they don't look like the comic character and they don't look like the comic character because they're not 300 pounds of solid muscle or because their boobs aren't big enough or something like that, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, costuming wise, like, I think it kind of made sense for it to be a little bit baggy in places because she's wearing a fucking like jumpsuit. Yeah. Like if you ever tried to run in a, a leather jumpsuit, like there is a reason that they're baggy in places. If you ever see uh, like bikers, for example, so like I'm from the Isle of Man. So yep. we have the, the Isle of Man TT 
uh, every year. So there's thousands of bikers on the island. Like, not a single person wearing leathers is it skin tight. You can't fucking move in freaking leather when it's when it's like skin tight at your at your joints. So of course it's going to be a little bit baggy around her hips. It's going to be a little bit baggy around her shoulders, like in her arm joints and shit like that. So it's kind of a good costuming move to have these little little details in it and that she's not going to be running around in a skin tight lycra suit when she's fucking blasting off into space and going through explosions. She wouldn't have a freaking suit left by totally. the end of it. Well there's this fixation that like because comic book uh comic book characters are drawn with like they're not wearing layers of clothing, or at least they used to be, that they have yeah. to that they have to be that way. And like there's so there was this move from doing the actual like a lot of a lot of movies don't do the tights, right? Like in the sixties yeah. they kind of did, but then in the in the two thousand like in two thousand, literally you can trace this back to the year two thousand when X Men came out, they switched to leather. So leather yeah. has become the the defining material that superhero costumes are made out of uh, in the MCU since then. Not because I, I don't think it has anything to do with um, people working on like you know that, that the X-Men were originally a Marvel like it's nothing like that I think it's got to do with the way the Ultimates characters look where they were allowed to have costumes that would look a little bit more functional and I think it's yeah. also about the fact that X-Men sort of proved that like there was a way to make a version of these superhero outfits that didn't look silly and then Marvel kind of sillied it up a little bit by being a little bit more colorful and a little bit more vibrant and but not going too too far in that direction they're still pretty functional yeah. but like leather le leather is kind of silly too if you think about it you know what i mean like i know there's yeah. people who think like oh we should go back to the tights because leather like and and big colors because of the leather and like over textured look is is stupid in its own way but i don't know i i i feel like uh if you're gonna put somebody in in a military um uniform that's also armor yeah. leather's okay you can you can go you can do that you can do like what yeah. basically looks like a like like you said like a biker outfit like a like somebody yeah. on a crotch rocket you know yeah. like yeah no one's running around in chain mail anymore well yeah even captain america's outfit doesn't have chain mail any, or, or scale mail and it used to yeah you know like it just doesn't like there's just certain things that look good in comic books because they're static that don't look good in motion and that's that's the kind of thing that uh filmmakers are always having to 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 deal with and figure out when they're making movies. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a tough job to be a costumer in the, in this oh, day and age, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. no kidding. Um, so is there, is there any, I think this is, it's time to get to our, the point where we talk about our, our final thoughts, our recommendations, if we have any, just anything we want to say about, about the movie that we haven't said yet. So yeah. why don't you, why don't you start us off? Is there anything that you didn't, you didn't quite touch on that you'd like to now final thoughts what can i say about this film that we haven't already discussed um i think we covered it really really thoroughly. yeah we've gone pretty uh gone pretty in depth like more in depth than i expected we were going to go to be honest so we but, got, uh, caught, we got yeah. caught up in it that's a good thing <laughs> yeah we just let it go um yeah i mean it, it's good the more i think about it the more i you know meditate on it i the more i like it and the more i want to see it again i think it, yeah, it did too. a really good it did a really good job um you know despite my my minor criticisms but the more i think about the criticisms the more it's like it's just by the wayside it's the nothing you know massive that stops me enjoying the film well of course so, right there are things you'd forgive in, a, in another movie that you know where it didn't feel like there was so much pressure to have a certain kind of opinion. You know, there's a certain yeah. amount of pressure when a movie that, that is, uh, even if it's not overtly political, because I don't think that Captain Marvel is overtly political. It's political in the no. same way. Most, most like Marvel movies are, um, most Disney movies are really, 
uh, you know, but there's a pressure. And so you, you know, you wind up like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> the only thing that um, perhaps it is my only like, like big criticism of it. And I think this is, is this coming back to my earlier point on the scripting right. is that I don't think it, it, it did a particular, well, maybe plot. It just didn't do a particularly good job of showing her power Ah. Or, or or explaining what her power is because when we when we walked out of the theater my my husband andy turned to me and he was like I, I don't really know what her power is it never really explains what it is and um, well it's really woo like it's like okay this engine explodes and it infuses her with this like like cosmic power but that's yeah. it's really ill-defined and yeah and like you know we see things she can do with it she can shoot lasers out of her hands obviously she can fly yeah. she can breathe and kind of breathe in space it looks like it does it looks like by yeah. the end she doesn't really need her mask anymore um yeah you know so she's she's become this entity and like she can do these things and we're seeing her do a lot of them for the first time uh because early in the movie she really just shoots lasers sometimes yeah um and she's pretty good with technology we see that because she's lived six years with an alien species that's more advanced but i think yeah. you're, i think andy's right that her powers are ill-defined i wonder if that's for a reason that they're that they that they don't they want to explore that later like what yeah. the limits are if they want to do a storyline where it's like well, she needs to learn how to understand her powers because maybe they'll be like a dark phoenix type thing where like they're actually really destructive and so yeah you know because it seems like they're, they're arguing the opposite which is that she needs to let go of her need to control in order for her powers to work. But I mean, yeah. that does imply that there's a hard limit on how far she can let that go before she's like blowing stuff up left and right. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I wonder if they'll walk yeah. some of that back. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to see how far they want to take it because, mm -hmm. you know, even in the comic books, she's, you know, the upper limit of her power is never really defined. They yeah. know that she can she can set up of a blast, you know, probably of like a couple of atomic bombs. And obviously we see her in the film. She uh, she uh, she stops those uh missiles or whatever. warheads yeah. come from uh, from ronan and turns them around and blows up goes through it and she's up in space and she's like come at me bitch like yeah you know i'm gonna fucking protect this planet you better back up kind and of she thing. does it by blowing up their weapons not necessarily by like she defends she doesn't she doesn't actually just like wipe the, the whole board like she doesn't blow yeah. up ronan and kill all his people she doesn't do that which is kind which of interesting. she could have done yeah, yeah she has a certain amount of restraint still um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. Cause I think that's fair. I think they don't really, even the explanation for her getting her powers from a blown up cosmic engine that goes faster than light or whatever. It's not, yeah. it, it's kind of like the, what the way the infinity stones used to be, uh, in the earlier Marvel movies where they weren't really, it was just like a MacGuffin. It was just like some nonsense sci-fi fantasy woo. And yeah. I, I feel like they did a good job eventually of going back and being like, okay, here's what the Infinity Stones are. They keep popping up. They're important for these reasons. And they kind of like, with Infinity War and uh, and I think, it, is his name Wong? Yeah, Wong. He explains the origin of them just in case anybody watching Infinity War hadn't seen the other movies or, or didn't pick this up. And that was good yeah. enough. He put it in such a concise way, in, in pure exposition, uh, that, it, that it worked okay. So you might eventually yeah. get that about uh, about Captain Marvel, although maybe they won't. Maybe the whole reason why they didn't get into it is because her powers have never really been defined, and maybe they're yeah. not definable. Maybe the longer yeah. she's alive, the longer she's doing what she's doing, they could just grow and grow and grow until she's basically a god. You yeah, know? that's a very good point. And I, I wonder. Think... Well, I hope they acknowledge it though. I hope they address that in some way. Like somebody asks her, yeah. like, "Well, what can you do?" And she's like, "And I think that might happen in Endgame." And then she'd be like, "I don't know. <laughs> like, I can do yeah. stuff, but I don't. I don't really know where it, where like what the limits are." 
Yeah, like I'm pretty strong, but you know, you know, let's try this. Let's see how far it goes. And they'll have think... to find weaknesses for her. They'll have to find a way to to put her in check. Otherwise, her, like in a, in a in an interesting way, so that she doesn't have a boring story in in a potential sequel. Yeah, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do. I think the only problem I have, uh, just uh, going back again, like my other criticism, is mm-hmm. to do with her origin in the film, in that they've made it. They said so they've changed it from her comic book origin and they've made they've inserted an infinity stone in there, which, you know, makes it more under, understandable for, you know, this is where power comes from. But at the same time, you know, she was human at the time. So how has she withstood the power of an infinity stone? Well, if you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and this is the problem, another problem that, that uh, anybody who hasn't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would miss, being infused with Kree blood essentially makes you more powerful than you were before anyway. Um, I see. It, like, kind of. Like, it makes you, I, I, it, it's unclear. In Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it happens to two characters, uh, Coulson and uh, Daisy. And Coulson, um, he doesn't bleed blue or nothing later on. And he doesn't, uh, so it's, it's only temporary, like it's flushed out again. But for, yeah. for Carol, she's some kind of hybrid. And in, uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they introduced the idea of Inhumans. They had a TV show called Inhumans that lasted a, like, less than a season because it was garbage. It's like the only <laughs> really outright failure Marvel has yeah. had. And, uh, and there's this whole idea that, that the Kree created super soldiers with powers and uh, they're called Inhumans. They're kind of, they kind of work like X-Men. You're born with it and you have to expose yourself or be exposed to a gas called Terragenesis and then you become superpowered. Uh, and so, so like, I feel like the idea is that uh, at first she thinks she's got powers because she's a Kree. And like the other people in Star Force probably have, some of them probably have powers too or something because they're, they're Kree super soldiers. They're like, they might not be Inhumans, but they're Kree super soldiers. So like, she's kind of like that. And then... Um, her, po- her actual powers though came maybe from an infinity stone and that's something that they've done in the MCU where almost everybody's powers even like uh uh Quicksilver and uh and uh Scarlet Witch like their powers came directly from an infinity stone you know yeah maybe just as a way to tie everything together but i don't know if it's i don't know the movie isn't clear but whether her powers come from the tesseract or whether the tesseract just happened to be there i can't remember maybe i need to see it again was it did, did they say you've seen it twice did they say that it came from the the space stone, the, the Tesseract? Yeah, because the, the Tesseract was the thing that was powering the space engine right, in remotely, the jet though. that she was flying. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And so the, it, But she was still human at the time. So, so she's got space powers. Yeah. And so maybe yeah. what made her able to survive was the Kree blood. So she's dying, but, they take her to the Kree home planet, they give her a Kree blood infusion, and then she stabilizes and survives. Does that make maybe. sense? But surely, but the, I think the only thing is that, like, surely she should have been vaporized by the explosion. Ah. It's the only other thing that I'm thinking of. That's the only thing that threw me off. Because, like, when she's, when she gets uh, she caught in the explosion, like, literally nothing well, happens to her other than a bloody nose. Yeah, and I wonder about that because the Space Stone doesn't kill Red Skull either. It just teleports him. Like when it when it goes off in ca- in the first Captain America, um, yeah, you know what I mean. And I, I know the Power Stone, the Purple Stone in Guardians of the Galaxy, it, it does incinerate people. Like it it it, uh, it 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 turns them into ash. So yeah, and that doesn't happen to to Peter because uh, to Star Lord because God. he's half yeah. yeah he's half celestial or whatever. But I, I wonder yeah. th- then maybe there's more. We're getting into cool speculative territory, but maybe there's more to explore. <laughs> like maybe maybe there's something something to Carol that we don't know yet. Maybe. 
I'd, that will I that is something I'd be interested to to see what they're gonna do with. I'm gonna pay extra close attention next time I see the movie to that the whole sequence of her getting her powers. I, I do think that this is one of those things where they could go either way. They could they could get deeper into it, or they could just hand wave it away. Like yeah, the explosion for magical science reasons didn't kill her. Um, instead, it gave her powers. Like you know. What are the odds? <laughs> you know, like yeah. they can they can ha- they can hand wave that, but like yeah, they they could also uh, they could also be a hook to whatever, just like it was in 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 uh in Guardians of the Galaxy where they're like, hey, you survived, you're more than human, and then he's like, oh yeah. cool, and then the second movie, it's like, oh, you're actually a giant alien planet with with a with a face as your dad. Um, <laughs> I love Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two for so many reasons. And yeah. and one of them is that they had the balls to 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 do ego, <laughs> like as yeah. a, as a character, so good. But um, but yeah, so like uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully, uh, a couple of years from now, we can do a Captain Marvel two episode. I hope so. Even if they don't do, even they might do this before that too. She might pop up in somebody else's movie. They could. It might be important in Endgame. Nobody really knows. Because she was supposed to I be in Infinity War. I will take everything I can get. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, that's, that's, a, that's a good place to, to leave it, I think. We'll take whatever we can get from the MCU. We're yep. MCU fans. We're not fanboy and girl. I don't, I'm not a fanboy about anything. Uh, I'm no. always critical, even when I like something. Sam, yes. do you feel the same way? Yes. Okay, I so do. don't call us, don't fucking come at us calling us <laughs> Marvel or MCU shills, you trolls. We don't, we yeah. don't want to hear it, okay? Go find no. someone else to bother. Yeah, but we will take your your thoughts on Captain Marvel or any of the other films we discuss in any of these. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Wants to, uh, Even if you are going to troll us. us, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll read it, not out loud. We'll probably Can, laugh together. Do you want to do you want to try it, making but... a Captain Marvel haiku? Oh, maybe. Okay, I got I got the first line. Okay, I'm good. gonna clap the syllables. Okay, gaslighting okay. is bad. Can you do the seven syllable second line? Uh, Captain Marvel is a something. Champ. Ch- champ. Yeah. Okay, that's seven. Um, yeah. This this film is awesome. This Does film is awesome. Or maybe like ah uh. uh it is uh no that doesn't work yeah okay let's do it let's do it all together um okay so gaslighting is bad captain marvel is a champ do you want to do you want to go with champ yeah let's go with champ okay so captain marvel is a champ this film is awesome yes that's our that's our movie review haiku Yep. for this episode i, I guess like <laughs> movie review haikus were an idea i thought i had and i originated but it turns out that a lot of people do them uh the guys at slash film cast do limericks so the idea of kind of trying to condense a review into some sort of form of goofy ass poetry is been done <laughs> but i like i like the idea of us trying to come up with a movie review haiku together every now and then so we might we might do that again if it's not too awkward that was kind of awkward but also fun <laughs> we can work with all you, you, did, you did not people. you didn't know i was going to bring you in on it <laughs> so no i did not i, I was completely I caught you, off guard put you on the spot there um you'll have to think about you'll, you'll have to think um you'll be like thinking what's what's a good seven syllable line for us and then it'll yep. I'll, I'll throw you off by saying you have to do the, the first and last line <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe i'll just write a haiku and then i'll be prepared in any circumstance oh cheating 
but yeah, look for look forward to more awkward entertainment from from us. Um, yeah. I think that's going to be it for this episode. But uh, let's do some yeah. sign off stuff. Um, I can be contacted on Twitter at Evan Todd McCoy, all one word, Evan Todd McCoy. Uh, Sam, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as uh, at Sam underscore Jane with a Y. Oh, the Y. Yeah, with a Y. Got to stick that in there. All right. Look, our email, we'll put our email address in the blurb for the episode. Yeah. And in our podcast bio, if you want to email us. Uh, If it doesn't work properly or you don't hear back or whatever, uh, just get get at us on Twitter. Um, That's that's the way to go. Uh, So credit to, uh, for our music, our intro music is Keshko, They Know Nothing. And our outro music is Broke MC Seeing Things. Um, Please drop us likes, comments, subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. We're hosted by Anchor, but we're going to be all over the place. Um, yep. any, any app that you use, you can find us on. Uh, personally, I use Podcast Addict on my Samsung phone, uh, or sorry, not Samsung, my uh, Android phone for all yep. of my podcasting needs. Um, but there's all kinds of apps you can use to, to collect podcasts. Exactly. Spotify, Apple Spotify. Podcasts, all sorts. There are, we'll be everywhere. You, you won't be able to get away us. from us. But you can not get away from us because we're everywhere. Yeah. We're watching you whilst you sleep. You just don't and know And when you're staring off in the middle distance at your kitchen window, we're the ones behind you rubbing your shoulders. Yeah. Well, only with consent, though. Only with you consent. You have to say yes or no yeah. to that. But uh, but yeah, please get in touch. We uh, we want those emails. We want to hear your thoughts. We want your critiques on us. We want ideas. We want everything. Just get in touch with us. Like like us share us do whatever you want just get in touch we don't care yeah we're good people we deserve your engagement engage with us engage with us help us build uh, a revolution where Mm -hmm. i don't know what we're gonna do it with it yet we'll see yeah we're gonna do something maybe talk about about movies (laughs) (laughs) probably just talk about movies uh to each other in, in empty rooms and uh and then just hope that other people like to listen to it too so for next episode, we're looking at doing us. And uh, in general, um, we're hoping eventually, and this is just so you know, because this is our inaugural episode, people listening to us later on down the road that don't listen to this episode for whatever reason, they're not going to know this was a thing that we were promising or suggesting and maybe never actually did. But we're hoping to have guests. We want to try to get guests on our podcast. So we won't be famous people. Yes. So don't look forward to that. We, we're not going to make those kinds <laughs> of promises. But there'll be people like us who don't know anything and like to talk about movies. Yeah, people that just like the sounds of their own voices, just like us. The more they like the sound of their own voice, the the more airtime we're going to give them. Exactly. That's why Evan talks so much. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. Never <laughs> again. Have to. Hashtag never again. <laughs> you never have to apologize for being yourself, Evan. Oh, that's such a good <laughs> that's such a good message to sign off on. All right. <laughs> this has been okay. Evan and Sam and Movie Night Madness. Uh, Take it easy, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Catch you later. I get a drink after this, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You already filter information from sound, smell, and touch, but now you're going to be assaulted by a million things you never even knew existed. It's a whole new level of confusion. People are going to expect you to be able to do things that you can't do. Read signs, recognize body language, people's gestures, facial expressions, and just get out of their way. Your eyes will want to dominate how you perceive the world, but you can't fully trust them, not yet.